Recording from our headquarters in Old Town Orange. Welcome to the Hot Rod by Boyd Podcast. Alright, here we are, back at the Hot Rod by Boyd headquarters. I'm here with uh, Chris Coddington. What's up, buddy? Not much, man. How are we doing? We're doing good. Doing good. Alright. This you is wa- always a good time when we can do this stuff. I know. Outstanding. Yo, and there, there's a third voice, our guest today. Chris, you want to introduce him? Yes. I'd like to introduce Randy Lawrenson. Thank you for coming out. Oh, it's my pleasure. You know, um, it's just, I'm glad you can just be here because you know what? Uh, we're going to talk a lot, a lot of cool stuff um, and how the, you know, the, the convergence of uh, Randy and, Bo- <laughs> and Boyd happened there. Um, and some real iconic stuff that happened. Yeah, so, tell some tell some lies and some fun stories. Yeah, a little bit of truth peppered in. <laughs> yeah, right? God, that was a great time. I mean, I, I'm I feel lucky to have been a part of that time, that 80s and 90s. Now to realize, looking back, what a second sort of golden era it was for for hot rods. It was kind of cool, you know. I mean, and and you look back now. I mean, where everybody takes pictures, right? Everybody, everybody. I mean, your whole social media feed is just your own pictures which is cool in its own way but just people like you with the just the you know from the obviously it starts with the builders and then by the time you get your hands on it you you i mean some of your shots i mean that was the only shots they've they saw these cars until they saw them in person right right so i mean you kind of i mean but think about that was the truth for me too for when i was a kid reading hot rod you oh know, yeah growing up in the 60s and stuff and seeing ed big dotty roth cars and going with my dad to the shows and going i mean who gets to drive that who gets to sit in that car you know now i do you know i have yeah that, that's still the fun of it all you know no so how how did you get started let's let's then let's go back and then we'll we'll, we'll get up to uh, you know um the hot rodding days but how did you get started in photography Oh God, I, you know I'll quote Steve Stanford. I was born a small black or a poor black child, but, <laughs> but I'm not a black child. But anyway, I, I got started. This is a convoluted story. I was taking art classes and that sort of thing in high school. My dad drove a semi that uh, for tow trucks. I to, uh, drove a tow truck that was for you know wreck semis and, and broken down buses. And Greyhound was the biggest client of the company. And he always raced. We were Ascot constantly. We had grew up with a lot of people with muscle cars and hot rods in the neighborhood. He had friends with race cars and hot rods. And so it was always around. It was just normal and, and part of the deal. But uh, I'd go with him as a kid in the truck. Sometimes he'd wake me up in the middle of the night. Hey, you want to go get a, get a bus? And we're going to go get this or go pick up that. And um, people would forget things on the bus all the time greyhounds all the time he'd say go look for briefcases or a lady's purse or wherever and we'd take it into the to lost and found when we got back into downtown la at the greyhound center and he found this camera and uh so he took it in now this is years later i'm getting ready for high school he uh and i've been taking art classes and drafting classes and wanted to go into automotive design and uh he he found this camera, he turned it into the folks at Greyhound and said, hey, we found this on a, one of the buses. Because what they would do when the bus breaks down, you know, they'd send another bus out to get all these people. Nine times out of ten, it was up on top of the grapevine because the buses had overheated and broken down. And he would, uh, and, you know, they called him back 30 days later and say, hey, nobody's, uh, you know, claimed this camera. You want this thing? And he said, sure, I'll give it to my kid. He'll take a class, you know. And I was just starting high school. And so they had a photo department. And um, so he and I went to this camera store 
and said, my dad kept calling it this cheap Japanese camera. He just kept saying, this cheap Japanese slide camera. Why don't you take a class, learn how to work this Japanese slide camera? I don't know how he got that in his head, but he did. And we went to a, a photo store, and I'll never forget, I was like 15 or 16 years old, and right away the guy said, so where did you get this? He told him. Why nobody claimed it? Who knows? God, I mean, God bless them, whoever they were, because it changed my life. He said, I'll give you $500 for that camera right now. And what, and and what now, year was this? This is like 1971. 72, okay. you know, and my, you know, $500 is <laughs> probably camera. a house payment. Yeah. You know? And my dad was like, what? And he said, he said, yeah, that's a Nikon F. That's the best damn camera you can buy right now. Wow. And, and my, we had no idea what he was talking about. And my dad said, what kind of film goes in it? And the guy sold him a roll of, you know, a roll of Kodachrome. And he said, go take pictures with this thing. We went out and that afternoon took some pictures, got it developed somewhere, got it a few days later, and looked at these slides with color like we'd never seen. Right. And my dad said, you're going to take a class and learn how to use oh, this wow. Japanese slide camera. You know? Nice. So I did. I signed up. And uh, first day, the photo teacher, you remember how when you're in high school and the first day in class, you, you check out all the hot chicks that walk in through the classroom door. You're like, oh, she's in my class. Oh, she's in my class. That's cool. And this good-looking blonde, long, I mean, again, this is 70, 71, 72, somewhere on in there, 72, 73. Long blonde hair, a macrave vest that you could kind of see through, mini skirt, big, you know, wedgy high heels, beautiful beach chick. You know, for this time, you know, you're just thinking, this is a good one. And and she wrote her name on the bullet or on the chalkboard, Miss Benezra, and it was the teacher. <laughs> and I thought, damn, <laughs> I'm gonna be a photographer, you know. And uh, and she showed us what a darkroom was. She showed us, you know, about processing and printing. That very first day, I thought, you're in the dark all day with, I, I could. I could hang out with you in the dark room all day. You know, you're 17 years old. You're thinking, this is pretty damn cool, you know. And you could take, uh, they called it AI classes, like, uh, in, or industrial, IA, industrial occupations, for auto shop or for farming and for wood shop and metal shop. I said, can I take this twice a day for, uh, for photography? And she said, you know, nobody's ever asked that before. And I had no interest in photography. I just wanted to hang out in yeah. the dark with her. That's all I wanted to do. <laughs> It's, fun, it's funny how those things shaped your life. Yeah, like, exactly. Right. You, know, you and, got the camera, and then you got yeah. Like, I and she became a, a lifelong friend. That's, that's even better. Yeah, <laughs> honestly, to to this day on Facebook, I mean, I've told her how she changed and shaped my life. You know, nice. And uh, she, cool. she truly did. And that was during high school. It was during high school. Wow. And after that, worked for skateboard companies. You know, had no real guidance, just surfing and skateboarding. And um, so you grew up in South Bay, South Bay, yeah. Redondo Beach area. Okay. And then a good friend got hurt at the skateboard company that we worked for, got hurt really badly. We all figured it's time to go get real jobs. And I went out to learn about photography and went, went to work for photographers whose names I kept seeing in magazines. All of them at that time were beauty and glamour, playboy, all that stuff. Because I thought if I'm going to do this, I just I'll do it to hang out with pretty girls. Yeah, it's a cheap excuse. You know. <laughs> So did that work out for you? It worked out fantastically <laughs> for me. <laughs> it turned out one of the girls in my high school class was in in uh, John Robert Powers modeling school at the time. So I'd stay after school. She'd stay after school. We'd do photos together. Her name was Mary. I won't tell you her last name. But um, now the world knows her as Bo Derek, you know. Oh, okay. And, and uh, so 
you know, it, it, it started a whole new a whole new line of work for me. And when I went to work, eventually working for different people, working at Playboy, working at the, the best people for glamour and beauty photography in Los Angeles and ended up with what was the top man in L.A., a guy named Harry Langdon and worked there for a number of years with uh, like today we're going to shoot you know share tomorrow it's going to be richard burton okay oh, wow. thursday it's the captain and Tennille. you know friday it's you know somebody else i mean it'd be elizabeth taylor every day for like three years wow and uh, did reagan's you know portraits for presidential portraits and all that kind of stuff and it taught me how to light shapes and how to light curves he was fantastic at what he did and uh, he taught me a lot and it, it was all about shapes and curves and lighting to highlight those shapes and curves and, and how beautiful women can be more beautiful even with, with lighting. Never worked for anybody that shot cars. Never. Really? You know, all of it was with girls. <laughs> <laughs> so what, how, what, how did you make the transition? Um, well, all this during this whole time, you know, it was still my my passion. You know, I still loved surfing and I still loved, uh, you know, hanging with hot rods and with my dad racing and stuff and being at Ascot Raceway and all that kind of stuff. And even when I worked for Harry, when these people would come with their cars, the the highest names in the industry, yeah, right. he'd I say, mean, go take care of their car for them. And in fact, one day, Ann Margaret came into the studio and she had this chopper with bullhorns with, really? with ape hangers <laughs> and the whole thing she rode. The, Harry said, can you ride that thing? I said, I, I can try. I said, go find somewhere to park it, you know. But um, eventually, when I off on, went off on my own, went to New York for a while, worked for a couple of big names there, uh, Scavulo and Avedon doing fashion work, came home, and now what? And uh, I was at uh, the Father's Day event with one of my best friends. He's still a good friend to this day. He was my brother-in-law for a short time, but still one of my best friends. Oh, and talking he, about Dan? Yeah, Dan yeah, Carter. Okay. And he uh, he was still into hot rods. He was big into hot rods. And so I went out with him to Father's Day, and there was a guy named Joel that had a, a 29 Model A Phaeton there that was the Fat Jack style at the time. I mean, yeah. totally slammed on the ground, you know, sort of a Jaguar maroon with tan interior and a tan top, fresh car. And Danny did everything made every offer the more we drank the bigger the numbers got trying to get joel to sell him that car that day could not get him to sell it to him and uh eventually joel kept saying part of the reason i don't want to sell the car yet is that gray baskerville is supposed to shoot it for hot rod and this has been an on and off thing for six months it's going to be in hot rod magazine and i'm waiting until that happens before i sell this car and so danny slapped over at me and said why don't you just shoot it and and that that was the, like this epiphany, you know. Yeah, you're like, yeah I yeah, could do that. I could do that, yeah. <laughs> you know. I could do that. And here I'm struggling as a photographer now, shooting beauty and glamour stuff on my own. And uh, I thought, yeah, I could do that. And I shot it, you know, and um, lit it up out on the Palos Verdes Peninsula late at night one night with a bunch of strobes and took to the photos to the mighty... Peterson Publishing Building at Sunset in La Cienega, you know. It was an icon. And it, it, as much as I had been to Playboy and all these other places, 
you know, with Rogers and Cowan, all these agencies, all these people, nothing terrified me like going to Peterson Publishing right. because it was hot rod. Yeah, you know? that's cool. And, yeah. And so I went after I shot it and sat in the lobby. Steve Stanford was sitting there waiting to sell uh, drawings and artwork that he had done just coincidentally at the same time. Len Emanuelson was editor at the time. He brought me in, took me, he said, okay, right, let's go into the art department. Laid the photos on the art table, and he goes, uh, uh, you shot this stuff. And I said, yeah. And he said, really? You, you, you <laughs> shot this stuff? And he had no clue, you know, who I was, and, and uh, I had no clue who he was. And he, I said, yeah. And he said, where? And I told him what had happened. And he goes, how much do you want for it? And I said, um, well, what are you willing to pay for it? And he, and he said, uh, $600. And I said, yeah, that's not enough. Because now I knew I had him by the way of us, you know, and yeah. I knew he liked it. And he said, uh, well, what do you want? And I said, shit, I got almost that much just in film and processing, man. I need more than that. And he goes, $800? I said, no. He said, 1000 I said, 1200 bucks. And so it established that I didn't get less than $1,200 for a car that I would shoot from then on, nice. you know, for Hot Rod. And that's, I mean... I was paying four fifty living it from my apartment across the street from the beach where I surfed every day, you know? <laughs> so I was like, I have to shoot a couple cars this? a is month. Is this mid-80s? This, this is, is uh, 80, 81. 81. Yeah. And um, the only thing Lenny did is he, he looked over at me and, you know, I had short spiky hair and, you know, my Rod Stewart haircut and about 47 earrings and everything else <laughs> and whatever 80s clothing on. And, he, and God forbid, you know, forgive me, everybody listening, but he says, um, you're not a fag, are you? <laughs> and I said, oh, no, what does that have to do with, you know? I, I mean, it was just it's like, like who, 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 what? 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 Yeah. yeah exactly. He said, I got a cover I want you to shoot. So he bought the photos right then and there and gave me my first cover. And when I brought the first cover in um, from Ruby's, no, I'm sorry, not Ruby's, uh, Oh, what's the name of that cruise night place? Um, Bob's Big Boy? No, it wasn't Bob's. It was down in Anaheim. Oh, it, Angelos. Angelos, yeah. yeah. And uh, immediately after that, he says, i got to send you on a trip to Florida with, do you know who Linda Vaughn is? And I, yeah. So I need, <laughs> to, send you yeah. To, I need to send you to Florida for two days with Linda Vaughn. It's like, well, because I told him where I'd worked, and, I, and he said, you're going to be intimidated. I said, shit, I hung out with Ronald Reagan. I mean, I'm not going to be intimidated by Linda Vaughn. Yeah. You know, but I was. And so he sent me off with Linda, you know, do the, do another, my first big cover for Hot Rod. Super nice lady. Yeah. Wonderful. To this day, God, what a wonderful woman. Yeah. You know? And just uh, one of the few, you know, women uh, icons in our industry. Really? Right? Really? I mean, yeah. She, gosh, she changed again that, that day. I mean, I'm taking up all your time here, but she... It's its our time. Okay. It's our time. I mean, these memories, they race back. You know, I uh, this is Linda Vaughn. I mean, my dad knows who Linda Vaughn oh. is, you know. And um, when I introduced him to Linda a couple years later, he, he looked over at me like, like you're, you're, you do, you've done okay, boy. You know, <laughs> you're, you've made it daddy's eyes. You know, she gave him one of her big hugs and smothered his face, and he was a happy man, you know. But we met up in Florida to shoot with uh, Warren Johnson's new Herstol's Pro Stock car at the time. End up becoming a good friend with Warren Johnson at the time, too. But um, I, we did the shoot. Everything went great. I mean, the, the, na the naivete of those times was so wonderful. We stayed at the Breakers right on the beach down there in Florida. And I told Warren, hey, just bring your semi out here on the grass, you know, next to the, uh, 
next to the breakers. We'll get up there early, and here's a beautiful view of the ocean and a palm tree, mostly because the semi had electricity, so I could plug in some big strobe packs that I'd brought along to light Linda up the way I'd learned working for all these guys. And with Warren's car, and eventually the cops all showed up, like, what in the hell? What, what? You know, what in the hell are you doing? <laughs> you know? And the, the security from, from the, the Breakers Hotel and everything. You know, Linda smoothed it all. I mean, she could she made those cops happier than they'd oh, ever really? been in their lives. That's yeah. good. And I, I could see her doing that. Oh, yeah. She said, I said, I, well, got the shoot done. I got to get out of here because I got to get to uh, Morosa Raceway because I don't know if it was later that day or the next morning, we're going to shoot with the car, get the, the shots on the car done and on the transport of the, that Warren had done. And she says, oh, don't worry about that. Don't worry about it. I said, no, no, I got to get to the airport. I got to catch a plane. You know, the, the tickets are booked. No, no, don't worry about that. And, you know, let's go do this. Let's go do that. It's like, I got to go, man. So unbeknownst to me, Linda's tight with this guy named Moroso, who I have no idea who he is. We chase off to some small local airport. He's got this twin-engined, you know, whatever cool plane that's got a playpen inside rather than seats. It's just this 80s playpen brown and shag in the back. Best flight I ever took. And we took off from there and um, come flying in and flew over the drag strip once, circled it. They, whatever, flash the lights, whatever the hell they do. There's a drag race going on down there, a big, you know, the Florida event for an HRA. Yeah. And uh, the PA system screaming, doing whatever they do. And uh, they shut down the drag races and we landed on the drag strip. Uh-oh. You oh, know, that's got to be cool. Oh, that was, I mean, and, and it's, you're getting out of a plane with Linda Vaughn on the drag strip. On the drag strip. In the middle of a major NHRA drag racing event. And they're like, wow, who's... And it's like the Beatles That's Linda have... Bond, and who's yeah. that guy? It's like... With, oh, with the uh, Rod Stewart yeah. haircut. <laughs> this is what it's, it's like to be the Beatles, you know? <laughs> and Linda's like, you know, this is normal, waving to everybody like it's just another day at the grocery store. You oh, know? that's awesome. I got, I got to do this more, you know? <laughs> yeah, the, la- I, the really the last time I hung out with her was with my dad. We drove Shazoom to Indy. Um, and I, I think I was, I just graduated. So I would have been like 18 and my dad's like, Hey, what are you doing next week? We're oh, like, well, I don't know. So we went to Indy. I mean, my dad drove through zoom and Bob Bowder and gray Baskerville followed us and gray was documenting the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And awesome. we went there and my dad did some interviews with, uh, Linda Vaughn. I got some pictures of that, but then I got, I was able to drive Shazoom around the Indy 500 track. Oh, wow. Yeah. That was kind of wow, cool. That's, so did you get to know gray on the trip then too? Oh yeah, I had known Gray uh, very well before that, but it was just ha- be- crazy trip. Oh. <laughs> no, that, no, I mean the guys, the guy was just uh, crazy. Just like he was like the Hunter S. Thompson of of hot rod. That's exactly right. That's you a know, very good way to put it. Yeah and, yeah, and I mean this is a guy where I mean my Greg's got a story where I, I don't know where, where do he live. Burbank. Uh, no, he is a, a, up in Pasadena. Had Pasadena. a family compound up there in the Pasadena. Yeah, so he had like, I guess Greg described it as you walk up his driveway and then there was like a window like up above like a living area. <laughs> and Greg had to pick him up to go to the airport or something something one time. And he comes walking him and Greg's just full and naked just, hey, Greg. <laughs> hey. Greg's like, oh, shit. One year at Hot Rod, Lenny, uh, Lenny Manuelson, an editor, got a phone call from the police. He had to go great. Uh, uh, bail gray out because there were sort of like three houses on the property and gray's was the highest one and it kind of saw down the street and vice versa the people on the street could see up the street gray uh, his chimney had caught on fire christmas morning 
and Christmas Day. And he was up on the roof with a hose and a glass of vodka, putting the fire out in the chimney stark naked. <laughs> you know? Yeah, that, he, was, that was a great trip. Like, they, they, I remember just, we get to the hotels, and they, they bought a bucket of chicken between Bob and, and Gray. And this, it was kind of gross to me, but these guys, would, this chicken lasted in like three days in this bucket. <laughs> and it never saw refrigeration. No. <laughs> no. It was like, they want some chicken? No, yeah. I don't want this chicken. And then, you know, they get to the room and then uh, Gray would have this, uh, like those, those folding cases. Oh, I know exactly the it's traveling a, case you're talking Traveling about. case and there's wild turkey in it yep. with the mixing, the glasses. Yep. And, and that was his deal. He would go, turn on TV, and he was in the room. That was it. Mm. But great, some great, great times. Oh, he the first year I went to Bonneville, um, for Hot Rod, I went for Hot Rod and for Street Rod. I think that was like 80, not Street Rod, I'm sorry. Hot Rod and uh, um, Sports Car Graphic sent me up there together for Peterson. And they put hooked me up with Gray. I mean, you got to imagine and remember, I mean, these guys are like icon, iconic gods to me. I mean, Gray and and Tom Medley and Pete Millar. I'd seen those guys walk around in the office, those pe- people that you had idolized, you know, just a few years earlier. And thinking, walking around in there, when are these guys going to get real jobs? When are they going to be grown-ups? You know, and not yeah. realizing yeah. you don't have to be a grown-up. You know, you never you, you could do this for a living. But so they, when I went to Bonneville the first time, they Gray was my mentor, and uh, he'll he'll keep you you know on the straight and narrow. It was like you know on the straight and narrow. Yeah, <laughs> you know. So uh, the first day we're at Bonneville. This is I think maybe eighty-two. Or so and 83 and again i'm just a surf punk you know i got my you know my jams on i got my my longboard shorts on and and a pair of flip-flops and a tank shirt and he's like and gray wherever you went when you traveled with gray he wore whatever he was wearing which was always a pair of white shorts and either yep. a red or a white shirt and his flip-flops, yeah, flip-flops yep. and you know his big old black horn rim glasses and he carried a briefcase that had another shirt his two toothbrush and a comb and a few odds and ends in it. That was his, that was his outfit for for forever, you know. And then the big steamer truck that opened up that had all the liquor in it. But um, well, the first morning I said, "Okay, meet me." He says, "Meet me at my room, whatever you know, whatever time it was, six a.m. or something." So I went to the room and I'm standing there in my trunks, and he says, um, "You wear underwear." It's <laughs> like, what the hell are you asking me that for? You know, he says, "Do you wear underwear?" And I said, no, it's my, these are like jams, man. Who wears underwear? You know, I grew up surfing. Who, who wears, like, what are you asking me that for? You know? And he says, well, then here. And he has this big tube of, uh, uh, of sunblock. And he goes, and gets this big wad in his own hand. And he goes, neither do I. And he stuck his hands down his shorts and rubs his balls up real good full of. <laughs> and he goes, here, do that. And I said, no, I don't think so. And he's like. Yeah, do that. Oh, in Bonneville, like, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, no, I don't think so. He said, "You need to do this," and and I, I had no idea why. You know, yeah. I said, "No, I I'm fine." You know, so uh, we went out for the first day and stand on the salt the whole day, and and the next morning, you you realize you're sunburned in places that the good Lord never intended right? to see. Sun, yeah, because you know? it reflects off the salt. Yeah, reflecting off the salt and up your shorts the whole day. So uh, he, you know, walking like, you know, you're straddling a horse. 
that night. He said, do you want to have a drink, you know, get it and make the pain go away? I said, yeah, let's go. Let's go to the bar. He said, OK, come to my room. And when I got to his room again, he opened up that big steamer truck sitting on top of a cabinet with every anything you could think of sitting there. <laughs> And he said, we don't need to go to no bar. Here's the bar. <laughs> yeah, I remember the wild, the wild turkey. That's what he had. Oh, yeah. yeah. Wild turkey and fried chicken. Yeah, he was, uh, he was, he's sorely missed. You know, he was the spirit of Hot Rod Magazine. For a long time. Yeah. You know, just some, just. He was a guiding light, you know. Yeah, no, that, those were good times. I, I had a lot of memories of just, I mean, he was just, to me, he was just an, the guy that would, to work for the magazine that just would come over. Yeah. You know? And then it's just like, uh, as you grow older and you hear more stories and, you know, then you just kind of see what he meant to the industry. Kind of just, right. You know, I didn't fully appreciate it at the time. You know, I was, cause you're just like, is this some crazy guy? Yeah, to work like, with? Why it's are like, you telling me to rub my balls with, you know, with, <laughs> with sunblock, you know, come on. And like, who are you? Why are we in your room talking about this? You know? And, and, uh, and, and to be honest with you at the time, in the beginning there he was a little standoffish to me and and i knew who he was from reading the magazine but he sort of kept me a little bit at arm's length and and i just thought he didn't like me you know and and things got a little better through the course of that trip to uh, bonneville and when i came back and lenny um, lenny manuelson there the editor at the time i said i don't think gray likes me and he said i think he's a little bit um threatened by you and he said why and he goes because of the photography that you do and he's kind of the guy around here. I said, oh, my God, you know, Gray Baskerville. You know, how could I? There's, there's no talking about it. He's Gray Baskerville. And he said, well, go tell him that, you know. <laughs> so I went over and told Gray, and, and he and I became good friends, you know. That's cool. Bro. Yeah. You know, it seems like, too, um, you were strictly just photographer. Right. right. There was no editorial coming from you. Uh, on the, later on. Later on, right? Yeah. Like, you do that stuff now. But, I mean, back then, it seemed like you were just, just photos. You were just photos. Yeah. But then there was guys like. You know, there were guys like Ray that actually were, did a little bit of, I mean, did both. Right. So. Right. And uh, and the reality of the time was, and, you know, I'd come from this photography background with shooting, you know, women, mostly beautiful women. But I knew I'd learned so much about light, whether that was in studio or out of studio, that um, that wasn't being applied, you know, to the magazines. And uh, the general rule of thumb for all the magazines at Peterson, uh, Bob DeLevo, you know, God bless him. He was a director of photography there for a very, very long time. But was uh, you shoot cars between 10 and 2 and because that's when there's no shadows. And you shoot the car to show the car, and, and it doesn't matter where it is, if it's on the grass or it's on the parking lot. You know, you look back at those old issues of Hot Rod. I didn't see things that way because of the way I, the world I had come from. And so it was all about lighting, and it was all about time of day. It was all about curves and shapes and reflections and things. And um, so Lenny recognized that. Again, Lenny Manuelson, he, he's like a big brother to me this, to this day. And uh, he recognized that. And it, But it was, this sounds egotistical as hell, and I don't mean it that way, but it was a little threatening at the time. It was like, wait a minute, now there's a photographer here. Not not a not a, a one of the editorial well, guys that also, also takes your, pictures. Your, you know, um, your kind of your background, where you came from. Exactly. I mean, like you like you said, you said, look, I was with Elizabeth Taylor, you know, Ronald Reagan, and this this and that, and those those are, I mean, for the most part, those are well beyond 
bigger than hot rodding. Well, right? but your, your hobby was yeah. Hot but to me, they weren't. In fact, when I got the job working for Harry Langdon, he said, "So I understand you've been doing this for Playboy, and you've done this at Penthouse. You've been working for this guy and this guy and this guy." And I said, "Yeah." And he said, "So you're not intimidated by uh, famous people, are you?" And I said. I'm not intimidated by anybody anymore because you walk around with a naked, gorgeous woman in the room for the day. You know, it becomes just another person in the room. It, it, it's a very difficult concept to, yeah. to absorb, but it's the reality of it, you know. And he said, then I don't think you're going to be bothered because his problem was getting people that weren't like, oh, my God, that's share, you know. And uh, or whoever the person may be, you know, I, I told him I could I just. If she's just, got, even if she's naked, subject. I don't care. Just you know, it's another person. Teach me how to light, you know. Well, that's when you're professional about it. Yeah. You know, and because it, you're there to do a job and you're, you know. And you got, you just got used to it. So, again, that's why Harry, or Lenny handed me uh, Linda Vaughn right off the top, you know. And then later on, right away, when they needed to do swimsuit issues, you know, the, you're the guy to do it. And then again, later on with Billy Gibbons and ZZ Top and Kedzilla, you're the guy to do it, you know. Because you're not going to sit there and go, oh, God, it's Billy Gibbons and ZZ Top, you know. Yeah, so let's talk. Let's talk about the the ZZ Top shoot. So, the Cadzilla shoot, that that issue of Hot Rodding is what the number one selling best selling issue of all time. Best selling issue of all time, and what made that unique was the the trifold, the spread that was in that. Um, the car made it unique. Well, the car made it unique yeah. for sure. It, it, the, there's just how long that car was and the way. So let's talk about that. How did how did that come to fruition? That yeah that that car changed. I mean, everything. it was obvious that be, this thing was going to get documented. Right. It was going to get photographed. And then I mean, obviously, your dad was doing incredible things, and you know, we were already shooting his stuff. I I was never an employee at Hot Rod, but I was there all the time. You know, but um, you know, I'd shot some other stuff with your dad the first time. I mean, you must have been a, just a kid, but the first time I ever met your dad, I went with Gray down to your to the house where I guess your mom still lives. Yes, and they were he he had just gotten a, a a chassis table set up, you know, in the garage there to start with some of the cars. But so when Cadzilla started later on, I'd been down to the shop there in Stanton yep. a couple times looking in on it. I, in fact, I'd gone a couple times with Gray, and uh, that was beyond anything any of us had seen built. I mean, I'd shot, you know, the GZ Top Eliminator car and gotten to know Billy initially with Eliminator. And, but Cadzilla was like, this is a whole nother level. That Nothing like that had ever been seen before, and in, especially in hot rodding. And deliberately to get, you know, a Cadillac that was one year past NSRA cutoff, you know, to get start with a 49, was a major sort of, what are you gonna do about this? And everybody talked about it. It seemed like a small thing now. At the time, it was a big deal. Are they going to let Cadzilla go to any of the events? You know. But um, Harry Hibbler was publisher. He brought me in. He said, you know, Cadzilla's done. We want you to do a big shoot with it. We want to do a big, you know, three-page fold-out centerfold. It's going to be on the cover. You know, we're going to bring ZZ Top in. And he he knew I'd already met Gilly with the uh, Eliminator Coupe. And... um, we have a grand total of three thousand dollars, you know, to spend on this, which, uh, which was even then nothing. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know? I mean, you're saying you're getting paid twelve hundred for the yeah, just bring you know yeah, and so they, and that's I mean, I hate to sound egotistical, but but I was getting good money living at the beach. I do a couple shoots of hot rod a month, surf the rest of the time. Was like, 
how damn better can life get, you know? And and uh, I told Harry at the time, it's going to cost me almost that just to rent a studio for the week to set up and get ready for this. Well, that's your problem. You figure out a way to make money off this. And I lost money doing the shoot, but it was one of those, this is the land. I, I, I knew then, you know, in my mid-20s or whatever it was, 26 or 27 maybe, but this is a big deal. You know, this car is going to change everything. And so we rented a studio in a, a brewery building in, in downtown L.A. and uh, put together a set that, that took us a week to build and to light and to get it together and stole the bus bench off the street out in front of us in, in a crummy old downtown L.A. and found things in the alley, chain link fences and odds and ends that we uh, threw in the set and, and started making it happen, you know. Yeah, and so and that uh, you were talking about the image behind there. I, I've always... That was always unique, and I always wondered what that was. Yeah, so it, it looks like a set, like a tunnel. It looks like a tunnel, yeah. But it, I'd gone at that time a couple times. I'd gone to Paramount and to Fox Studios and some of the other big movie studios, and you could rent these enormous forty and fifty foot long painted backgrounds that were from movie sets, and they had backlogs of them. You know, some of them were forty, fifty years old, and they had photographs that you could just go through these three ring binders and I said, well, that one's bitching. It looks like you're in a, you know, in the sewer system or something. And I want that. I didn't know at the time, but it was brand new and had just been used for the movie uh, Spaceballs. And uh, there's a scene in there, which is a spoof on Star Wars, where rather than, you know, coming down and blowing up the the Death Star and shooting down the hole with whatever they used to blow up the Death Star, they've got a Winnebago that they're flying around Exactly. And they fly the Winnebago down in the eardrum of this lady who's, or this giant robot, robot with the, yeah, yeah, vacuuming the the Earth's uh, uh, atmosphere off. And that tunnel that they're in, and, and is the background for the for Godzilla, the one they're flying through in the movie, which I didn't even know at the time. Found out years later, it's the it's from Spaceballs. That's funny. Well, how did how did you find out? Were you watching the movie? Yeah, and, and I was watching said, the movie. And I thought, Wait, Wait a, a minute, and, you know. And then later, I got a hold of Paramount, and I said, "Hey, you know," and they told me, "Oh yeah, you're the first one to use it after oh, wow. after the movie was shot." That's know? that's so cool. Yeah, because that was I had a question: Was that done post production, or was that was in, no, it was all on film, all, all on film. Yeah, that was actually all on eight by ten film, not you know and. Uh, you know, giant uh, upside down, put your head under the camera. You know, for those of you who don't know what that is anymore, it, it looks like you're taking pictures of Abraham Lincoln, you know. I mean, you got the big black hood over your camera and everything is upside down and backwards. And not only is it a difficult way to shoot things, it, it's a beautiful way to shoot things because you had to make such a big poster out of it. But um, you shoot Polaroids to get your lighting right that to that are eight by ten polaroids i have stacks of those left oh wow that are you know it was ten dollars each to shoot a polaroid on really? polaroid film but you had to it's better to waste you know a hundred or two hundred dollars worth of polaroid then, than it was to shoot some film go to the lab get it processed wait a day get it to come back and that sort of thing but the lighting on that set and on that car was so enormous and and with eight by ten without getting in the technical realities of it it takes a lot of light to get what's called depth of field. And so we stood there in the dark and you would flash the camera. I remember the, the background was 60 flashes. We'd turn off all the lights in the studio and set off all the strobes 60 times, then turn those strobes off and then turn on the strobes for the car and we'd flash them 25 or 30 times and then turn those lights off and turn on the lights that might be doing this part of the background. And, oh, wow. and, and we'd do eight by tens and write down on the back of each one 
do this, do this, do this until we got it right. Then go shoot a sheet of film, you know. Wow. And it's it's a major major undertaking, but it it's it's wonderful. I mean, it's like solve the problem, solve the problem, solve the problem. The biggest problem was getting the car delivered. You remember Harpo? Harpo. Oh, Curly. Oh. Oh, pur- well, Purple Pete. You yeah, you called him Harpo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pur- Purple Pete. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, he was supposed to deliver the car on the day the Didn't, car wasn't was. Wasn't Dwayne with it? Was Dwayne with Yeah, him Dwayne day? was with him too. Yeah. Dwayne Meyer. And uh, the day it was supposed to get delivery, we were waiting and no car. And um, what the hell's going on? And and uh, I got a call from Harry Hibbler at, Pup, at Hot Rod. And he said, uh, they're not going to show up with the car today because they want something called a liability insurance or something. We'd never heard of that, you know. And then Harry called me back and said, "We want a mi- they want a million dollars in liability insurance." It, it, you know, uh, not ZZ Top, but Bill Ham, ZZ Top's manager. It's like, what's liability insurance? And is that car worth a million dollars? Billy told me later he'd already sold the T-shirt rights for a million dollars, much less the cost of the build on the car. You know, but it stopped everything. You know, so we had to wait for a day or two to that get sorted out and sure the car. And then, you know, Harpo delivered the car. So how long did you have the car before you actually had the guys come in? Mm, I think we had the car for a day because we, we lost a couple of days in that whole insurance fiasco. And um, getting the, the lighting and everything done on the car. We had another car was, that we'd put in and, you know, sit in in its place. And, uh, you know, so whether it's stump dumble. And then, and Billy would come in once in a while. And he'd come in and out during the course of the week and talking about this and that and um, telling me what to watch for with the rest of the band and what to watch for with Bill Ham and giving me advice. Well, because there, there was a little drama going on. Yeah, right? there, the there was some drama. Uh, uh, because the Cad's, I'm sorry, uh, the Eliminator had become so famous as the ZZ Top car, but it was Billy's car. And so the money that that car was generating, I mean, I shouldn't be telling Billy stories, but basically was is it billy's money or is it the band's money yeah is the band making the car famous or is the, the car making exactly the band right famous? well you know billy paid to build the car paid, yeah. paid don Thielen for the car you know and so with cadzilla it became hardcore you never call this a zz top car you never refer to zz top but in the it's article. on the firewall it's on the firewall right you know hidden away but um you know so they finally the band's going to come the day they're going to come and we have a couple of makeup artists, a girl that I'd worked with, with Playboy for a long time. She came in, gorgeous uh, little blonde. I figured the, the guys would like that. And uh, we had five or six outfits and five or six different sets of hats, cowboy hats and Quaker hats and all these things. And Billy had warned me, he said, the biggest problem is going to be Frank, uh, Frank Beard. He said, because he's not happy about this at all. And I told him, you want to share the income, you share the cost of the build. And they wouldn't do that. And so there was, you know, some tension amongst the band members. And uh, when they arrived, you know, Billy had been around for two or three days. Uh, Dusty came in a couple of times checking things out. He was a ton of fun. And then the day of the shoot, Frank arrives with this big stretch Lincoln town car, white uh, limo, white leather and white top. He gets out, total rock star, a couple of gorgeous chicks, his arms around the shoulders. You know, I was like, this is the life, dude. And he walks in thinking, I thought, I can get on with this guy. We can, we're going to hit it right off. And he, he just walks up and says, uh, where do I stand? And I said, well, hey, you know, we got makeup in the, the makeup rooms around the back. We got the girls back there waiting for you guys. Got four or five outfits to go through. 
And Frank looked at his watch on his wrist, and he said, you got an hour. And I said, uh, Frank, we've been here for like a week getting ready for you, and we've got this and this and this, a poster, a cover for Hot Rod Magazine, multiple shots, multiple other promotional things we need to get shot. We, we got you here this morning because we're going to be here all day and probably, he said, you got 58 minutes. Where do I stand? <laughs> and Billy heard him and walked over and looked at me and was behind him and rolled his eyes, and he, he just shook his head like, don't start it, you know. And I said, okay. I said, and then Billy walked over and said, what, what outfits do you want? I said, put on the black suits and the Quaker hats. Let's get this done. And so we shot with them, you know, with the band complete for maybe an hour, you know, and uh, boom, he was gone. That was it. That's done, you know. That's, that's got to be a little bit of pressure, though, too, oh, right? Because man. you're sitting here you're thinking, hey, we've been setting up for a week. You know, yeah. you guys are going to hang out for two, three, four hours. And it's a frickin' right four by or uh, eight by ten camera, you know. It's, it's, it's not like your phone. That's uh, that's like Star Wars in comparison. Yeah, no, you, <laughs> Everything you do takes hours. You got to look at the glass on the back of the camera with a with a magnifying loop to make the make sure the guys are in focus and and get their lighting right and then do those Polaroids and all those things. And wow. I think we've got. I think I've got maybe ten or twelve sheets of eight by ten film uh, with the with the band complete. Really. Yeah. Yeah, and went through that, and they chose the one to make the poster, and on it went. There's tons of that film that was never used for anything. We hired some models, brought girls in, shot with the car, and and uh, just a ton of other stuff that we did as long as we were there for the next few days that was never used for That'd anything. That'd be kind of cool to see. Oh, yeah, it would be fun to drag it out. You know? uh, that's the, yeah, because, I mean, that, and then when that, when that came out, because I remember I was in high school, and it just... That was such an, I mean, everybody got hot rod. If you're in the cars, you got hot rod. Yeah. So when that came out, I mean, it was just, it was cool. It was, it was, a, it was cool as a kid to, to have one of your dad's cars. Cause I remember, I remember when we did the unveiling of that car at the shop and you know, nothing against the eliminator coupe, but completely different levels, right? Completely different levels. And, and I think, my dad kind of got the vibe that they were going to flog this thing on tour like it was a you know you know music videos because i think you know mtv was getting big at this exactly. point and and you know he he made a comment to my mom like you know i i just i don't think they're going to appreciate what we really did with this car you know <clears throat> and i think i think billy did and especially as time went by i think he he was almost fearful of the car to some extent because he hardly ever drove that car at all yeah, and I think my dad's comment was more about like just everybody involved with the circus of ZZ Top, you know, right. in the promotion of it. You know, like they're not going to really understand. This. No, they're going to take this on tour like it's just pop it in the trailer, go. You know, yeah, it's going to just it's get, a Camry, throw it in the truck, let's go. Yeah, it's going to get beat yeah. up and all this, but no, I, I mean, I understood what even then. You know, I'm 14 years old, 15 years old. I kind of understood what he meant because I watched the thing as a as a little kid. You know get built right and you know you got a crew of people on here and you know zz top and me here i am watching them on mtv mtv yeah you know? i mean and for mtv at the time that was iconic i mean the, the zz top and the eliminator videos oh. all that sharp dressed man sharp and dressed legs man. and all that stuff that oh. was like oh my god this changes everything you know it was a huge opportunity for Hot Rod. It was a, you know, it was a great opportunity for ZZ Top. All the cross promotion there, you know, it was, it was just, it was a moment in time, you know. At the time, I didn't appreciate it, 
and to this well, day, I'm sure you were stressed out to the max. I mean, I, I was stressed, just... but I was I was young enough still to be stupid enough to not understand how important it was. You, you know, you know what I mean. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, but I didn't realize what a life changer this moment was going to be. I, I knew the car was important. I didn't realize how important in the in the history of hot rodding. I mean, it's there's the Hirohata Merc, you yeah. know, and there's Cadzilla. There's you know, it's it's those icons. And as time went by, one of the best things to this day, and for me in my life, even being here at your place today, but the number of times I've gone to a guy's house because I'm going to shoot his car for hot rod or street rod or whatever, you're going to meet it at his house. And I walk into the garage and I see that poster hanging on the wall yeah. to this day, you know, and there's, that makes me feel so good. I can't express it. I, it's like my little moment there and. And, and sometimes I see other things we did for Hot Rod and this and that going on, but there's something about that where it's garage art that's uh, to this day to me. You know? Yeah, it's such a cool spread too because it's just, you can just tell looking at it now, you know, and, and listening to the whole backstory about it, but just, just the, you got the band in there, you got this beautiful car, you got the neon lights, it says, it says late 80s about it. It says late 80s. But that car, you could remove all those elements, and that car is just still. Oh, it's gorgeous. Just an iconic. Yeah. Like you talk about them owning the trademark to the outline of this car. And it's because even – and maybe that's what made their manager, that Bill Ham, as smart as he was because he understood certain things. How important that car how was. How important things were. What were important about it. The way, just the silhouette of that car. Right. Just iconic. Yeah. Like I mentioned to you earlier, you know, there, there's, there, he made me sign paperwork. He drew seven lines on a piece of paper. I remember to this day, I probably still have that piece of paper stashed away somewhere. But it was the slash, you know, a straight line for the front of the grill, the top of the hood, the windshield, the rake of the of the roof, the back fender, and then the, the, the cut line of the rear taillights was seven lines in total. And he said, you have to sign this paperwork because this shape is copyrighted. It's like, really? Well, that's, you know, that's a drawing on a napkin, dude. Yeah. No, no, no. I see anything like this anywhere. If this outline, if this shape, you're copyright infringing. I, I mean, again, I'm in my 20s. I have no idea what he was talking about. Yeah, and about. you're like, I mean, looking Whatever. back now, you're probably like, yeah, good luck, bro. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, like, you know, yeah good luck with Whatever, that. just let me sign it and get on with get on with what we need to do here. You know? Let me get my $3,000. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, because yeah. I already spent $3,500. You know? You're all, hey, Bill, you got 58 minutes, okay? okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, it Make was, that 56, but, yeah, it was you know. Yeah, a big freaking deal, you know, and... But it, it, you know, I don't know. Like I say, it's just one of those little things to this day. I see it in somebody's garage. It's a, it's a moment in history, you know, in the same way whoever got to shoot uh, the Hirohata Merc for the first time or the first time, you know, um, the a la carte showed up in yeah. something or whatever, you know. Well, it, and what did, I mean, how, how okay, because I'm thinking about the timing of the release of these magazines and how long it takes. From the time you shot that to the time it actually hit the stands, Are we talking four um, months, six months. It was about four to five months back then. Yeah. How how long how long once it went on sale did you guys realize? Holy shit! This they is... knew during that month during the course of the month because now I've been told this uh, by some of the guys. Jeff Smith was editor at the time, 
and others that say, no, that can't possibly be true. But um, that that was the only issue of Hot Rod that ever double printed because it sold so rapidly that month on the newsstand. They sent out another shipment of magazines to all the all the newsstands. They printed more and that had never been done before. You know, I mean, I you still run into that. I still run into that. Like I'll be in just wherever you'll be at somebody's tire shop or something and you could just see it yeah faded out purple in the back on there i mean it was just uh, you know it's funny uh, when i the more faded out the 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 less you can see it but like i noticed it on the print that you have such a wonderful print here at the shop and i forget about these things but not only is that tunnel back there but we had rain bars hanging across in front of that background and and behind the car and behind the the chain link fence it's all covered in plastic because it was raining a torrent of rain as if it was you know a movie set back there it's raining harder than hell and it's lit up if you see the film to show it raining and then there's the i mean that's a setup yeah and there's so there's water and rain falling everywhere with all these strobe boxes and all the the electricity everywhere (laughs) and then you have the 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 dump, uh, the the fifty five gallon drum with full the, of fire, full, with a fire going, up, yeah. and that's yeah. a live fire. Right. Right. Just and, the and million dollar liability hanging oh, over yeah. your head the whole time. It's just stupid enough not to realize how stupid you are, you know. <laughs> well, and, and, and you know what? For, that's for, a wonderful age. <laughs> you know, for people listening to this that are in, a little bit into photography, they look at that image now and go, "Well, you would just Photoshop everything." No, yeah, like, today like, you like, would. Like, oh, yeah. And it's and it's like you know what. I even some of the best people in the industry couldn't they could get maybe close but just the fact just it's there's a reality to it that there photo. is a real exactly so no, it's it, just like yeah and it's great hearing the backstory of the backdrop and how it all came together because you know so you know yeah chris is right people take that for granted right now and not realize that's a really like intricate staging for, yeah. for well, one it, shot took and, a week <laughs> and the other thing is he did. He rented the background. He did it all on his own. Where nowadays people would get images off Google that aren't even theirs. Oh yeah. Oh, God, yeah. So that's even, a whole other topic. Don't even take me there. Yeah. yeah. So it, it's it's one of those things. And then they go, "Oh, look what I did." And it's like everybody's this Andy Warhol type of, yeah. uh, of yeah. artist, where it's like, yeah, just throw "Well, how much of that is yours?" Like, yeah. You know exactly right. So it's sort of like rap in a way. It's like, well, okay, you can rip off Aerosmith, but then how much of that music is really yours? Well, we changed the way, you know, we're, we're just running that piece of Aerosmith in a loop. Well, well then is it really yours or is well, it? Well, but here's the deal. The, the, what you're not seeing, too, is a lot of the smart guys that actually have, and that's the thing is, once you get to a certain level, you have all this money, they're going on the front end to somebody going, hey, here's here's a million bucks. I'm using your riff or I'm going right. to cut you in for 20% or 10% of the, of the, of the royalties. Right. Or we're using your riff. They, they, you know, they're they're smart about it. The the guys that are just being dumb and reckless are the ones that are just taking it and not acknowledging yeah. it and just hoping they complete they it. They get into a lawsuit. We're, we're talking could, to you, Vanilla Ice. <laughs> I, yeah, exactly. Yeah, but I mean that that's the th- thing with uh, with photography. It's just it's it's uh, the level of entry has lowered, right? With the digital age, but you still have to have that creativity behind you, even if you are. Let's just say you're you're one hundred percent photoshop user and it's original content you still have to be creative there's there's some guys that i see you know uh younger guys that that they live in photoshop i do a lot of work in photoshop now too but simply because you have to especially with like things i've done for ford motor company or lincoln or whatever they expect that as as far as the perfection of the car and and 
in and in its imagery and also um well it's going to cost 10 grand for this background or 15 grand for this background but we can do it in photoshop for 500 bucks you know yeah. and so and plus the cost of transporting the car or whatever the thing may be but um so it's just changed it's changed and it'll never go back and some of these guys are incredibly creative with photoshop and i have to say i'm very impressed by some of what they can do there's an unreality still to it. Still yeah. looks a little bit like Need the for Speed hyper reality kind of. Look. Yeah. yeah, and um, and and part of it is, uh, you know, you didn't really need to Photoshop this layer and this layer and this layer. You could have cut this eighty layer photo down to about twenty layers if you did just shot the photo, the initial photo of the car properly exactly, to begin with. Right? You know, well, can you and, imagine going back to the glamour uh, photography business nowadays? Oh. I mean, all that stuff is so Photoshop and processed, oh, you know? I've seen ads where, I won't name the company, but cosmetic ads where they used to, I worked on some of them back in the day with Harry, um, where we would hire an Asian, you know, a black woman, uh, uh, a Hispanic woman and a white woman and shoot different ads with the makeup. Now it's all the same woman and she's Photoshopped to all the different nationalities. Ugh. Yeah, it's, you know, it's not uncommon at all. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's cr it's crazy, but you know, you you think about like also the Cadzilla shoot, the way you laid that out. It was all thought out. You, you know, you know, it was, it's all real world set a set. You don't see a lot of that now. I mean, no. I think I think what we're seeing is just kind of a reflection of of what we're used to seeing, and people are trying to be comfortable about it. Yeah. Like you know, people are used to seeing, um, you know, like this Instagram look, and and you know, I, I'm I'm. And a lot of my photo, I, I, be, I, I took up photography as a hobby, and it evolved into well, I guess I'm taking pictures good enough for my product, and then right. I'm not a professional photographer, but with my business, I take them for professionally, you know. So, and uh, especially for the way that they're used, you know, and that's the bottom line. If the photo is going to be two and a half inches tall by two inches wide, you know, there's a reality to that. You can get away point. with a lot. And, yeah. and, and also, also too, um, I think it went the, I, I think with a lot of images, it went the wrong way. It went way too Photoshopped and way too, right. way too manipulated. So people just go like for me, uh, you know, there's certain photographers in our industry that photograph everybody's wheels. Right. And they take really high quality. You know, they, they do it the right way. They got the right lighting and everything, but it's too perfect. And guess what? It's exactly right. It's too perfect. And, and this guy's wheel company looks like this guy's wheel company and this guy's wheel company. It's exactly. So I, I started going, okay, look, I'm going to focus on reflections and lighting. And I'm going to take them in, in how you would see them at a car show. Yeah. Now I say that, but I take, take them out in natural, all natural lighting. It's all out, outdoors. And I don't worry about reflections and thing i don't try to make it perfect i try to make it look like the way it's a, look. a little a little bit better than what you would see at a car show right you know uh somebody made a very good point to me about that one time was jay mays at ford the head of ford design i i you know through all these magazine years thank god as the magazines began to decline you know the 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 ford motor company and other companies begin to take notice of what you're doing and i've done a lot of work for ford for 20 25 years and Jay Mays is somebody I have great respect for at Ford. And, you know, he brought the whole retro thing in with the Mustang and the Ford GT and, and all those things. He'd done the same with Volkswagen with the Beetle and, and those, those designs. Just a very talented guy. Not necessarily a car guy, but a very talented designer. But when we'd shoot some things and work together and he would uh then it would go in i wasn't uh, very uh, pro prolific at photoshop at the time this is say 
mid 2000s and uh but they had a department at ford that started just doing that and he would come back to me and he'd go look what they did to your photograph and there was a part of me that would think well that's pretty cool because they got this and that out of the photo or that reflection off the side of the car or something and he goes no 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 no. they've completely taken the life out of this car And, and I thought, and I remember that to this day because I thought that's an interesting way to look at it. You've taken the life out of the car and, and that's true. Those reflections are gone. The reality of the way that car would look sitting outside at sunset or sitting there at night with the reflections of the lights and the buildings and all the cars going by, it has, it takes on a life of its own, you know, and that Photoshop can kill that. It's too easy to get things perfect, but perfection doesn't exist. Yeah, and it, it, but it's a great. It is a great tool to enhance, and to kind of speed things up because a lot of things don't. Not everything needs to be that detail and polished. Sometimes it's just like, oh well, that is a huge flaw, and I need to get rid of that. Because I, but I got to get this on Instagram tonight. That's that's where yeah, we're, that's exactly. where we're at in our world right now. And also too, it's just uh, in a in a good way. They've allowed, like I said, they allowed the level of entry to be pretty low, where someone with just a little bit of skill. And a couple thousand bucks could take some decent photographs, right? You know, and it's but it's the, also go ahead. I'll say the un, the unfortunate thing about that is they've killed the reality of being a photographer as a business or as a, you know, I I teach at classes. They've here made it there. a lot harder. Yeah, they made and, it a lot. And harder. And I've told people, I tell students, you know. Uh, when I, I get the opportunity, you know, luckily enough to to show up at classes at, at colleges here and there, don't rely on photography to be you know, your bread and butter, there, there's, there's video, there's all of these, you know, design elements and all these other things now that that same computer can do. And you need to understand and know them all because they are all one now. And, um, you know, I, I, you know, God blessed me to, to live at the beach and, and, uh, live on a hillside overlooking the ocean and the city lights. And I can tell you that that's not going to happen again with the next generation, even with my own kids. I said, you know, if you guys want to do what I want to do, I'll teach you everything I can, but you won't be buying a house here when, when you're 35 yeah, years and old. And I think know? though it, it's, you know, you can have all the money in the world. It's not going to buy you uh, creativity. It's not going to buy you the talent it takes to make some really good photographs. But the, the reality is, is that those photographs though have become worthless. Yeah, because exactly. Can people really see the difference or appreciate the difference? Right. Well, right. and if you're talking about my people... kid has an iPhone, right? Yeah, and my kid can make a really awesome video. And you know, Steve's Steve's got a video background, um, and he deals with that. And it's like you get these people that are just so used to, well, I can I can get this for two hundred bucks, and then yours is a thousand. Like they can't see the difference. It's exactly know? right, and and so and unfortunately, that dumbs down the industry. Because you go, well, if you don't see the difference, then you're the one hiring the people to, to do this, and you're getting the, the, the $300 guy instead of the $1,000 guy. Yeah. You're perpetuating the $300 guy. Absolutely, yeah. You're, you're not making it easier for us, and you're kind of settling for mediocrity because you're going to get for Absolutely. what you pay for. And it's, it's going to be probably serviceable, but, I mean, you put it in the hands of a true professional – but it's exactly yeah. right, and they don't begin to recognize what is um, really good artwork, a really good photography or video, because because it's because this is really good to them. I'll tell you a quick story of a very good example of this, and this is again back in the early two thousands. But I did all uh, about eighty five or ninety percent 
of the photography for Ford when the Ford GT was coming out in 04 and 05. And <clears throat> we're shooting like crazy with those. Jay, Jay Mays brought me in to do all that stuff from very early on in that project. And when the final uh, point of it all was coming to a head before the car was released to the public, um, it was also the 100-year anniversary for Ford Motor Company. And they had these gigantic celebrations and this, these big presentations that were going to go on at Ford World, or Ford World headquarters there in Dearborn. And there were banners everywhere. There was going to be this, this canvas that basically rolled down the front of Ford World headquarters that, if I remember right, it was like 120 feet by 80 feet. And, and it had three Ford GTs on it. And I'd been shooting the GTs and the Thunderbirds and the Mustangs and all this retro stuff to, to present for the 100-year anniversary. And we'd been another week in the studio at Dearborn there at Ford World Headquarters shooting three of the GTs together for this gigantic image, as well as a bunch of other things. And there was two guys that were with me from the ad agency who were in their early 20s. And, and we're like, no, now we got to stop and fix this because I can see... The reflections in the wheels, there's an orange sandbag laying over there or the other opposite end of the building, go get it. Now, I see tire tracks from when we move the car in, we got to paint those tire tracks over. All those things that you got used to with film because you had to, there was no fixing it afterwards. And they got more and more annoyed and I got more and more annoyed as it went on. And we were working 20 hour days for three or four or five days in a row at that point. And one of them finally said, we can fix all of this in post, just get it done. You know, and it's like, uh, and all along I had fought that saying, no, 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 we can, this, all we got to do is paint these tires out or no, 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 just move those cords over there. And it, it came to a head. I was like, fine, frick it. You know, I mean, this is, we're going to just do it your way. And we got it done. Well, then two, three days later, we're at Ford World Headquarters there and I have to go into this meeting. One of those moments in my life again, where I think, how the hell did I get here? You know, I'm just stupid little surf punk from Redondo Beach I'm sitting in this big mahogany room with the velvet curtains and Bill Ford at the end of the table those things you see in a movie you know to talk about the presentation for the Ford GT and the folks there from the the public affairs department and more importantly from from uh, J Walter Thompson the ad agency and those two guys are there and at one point, they do their presentation to Mr. Ford, to Bill Ford, and unroll this piece of what is going to be this 180 by 60 foot or 120 by 80 foot banner off the side of the building. Covers, you know, five or six stories of the building. And and it's a, a, a small strip of it, maybe 10 feet long and about three or four feet wide. One of the cars, one of the GTs was Bill's car, Mr. Ford's car, a white one in the foreground. And they and and the, he just loved what he saw. And this is going to be fantastic and going on. And with the guy from the ad agency looked over at me, one of those young guys, and he said, "See, I told you you're wasting your time worrying about sandbags and tire tracks and cords laying places." And it just pissed me off. Like, you know, it's like, could you do a better job of throwing me under the bus here? Oh, he and, said that in front of Bill Ford. In front of Bill for this whole entourage of about oh, twenty people in this geez. meeting. So I said, can, can you unfurl that for me one more time? The guy was actually standing on the table that was un, unraveling, and he did. And I said, Mr. Ford, I, I just want you to understand, they are correct. They got the tire tracks and the cords out of the floor here, but look at the door of your car. And I said, you see all that 
white of that black line and see those tire tracks and the door going towards the yeah, rear fender in your car reflection. and look in the front wheel right here you can see that orange dot that's a sandbag and see that red thing well that's the shirt on that guy there that just spoke up <laughs> and and i said can you imagine when this is 80 feet high and 120 feet long it's going to look like a tire track the size of a caterpillar truck that yeah. ran across the door of your ford gt oh, man. and so you want to see things come to a grinding halt real fast and and uh, he said you got 24 hours to correct this and he went after the agency guys and so we walked out of the meeting because it was a little less than 24 or a little more than 24 hours before all this fanfare takes place and they tore into me that guy came over he said really you throw us under the bus right there in front of bill ford I said, I, I didn't say anything until you said something. Now, and I told you then, and I'll tell you again now, you're not good at fixing and post because you didn't know how to do it right to begin yeah, with. Yeah, you didn't know. He didn't know what the problems were. He didn't know yeah. what to look for. Yeah. And so it's back to that same thing of the video or the photo. If you don't know what to look for, you don't know what to fix. No, no. I, I always tell Chris, that, you know, and, and we, we're really good about when we do uh, his shoots that, you know, pre-production is key. That's where all the devils in the details lie. You know, like it's. If you don't know what you're going to set out for, for what your goals are going to be and how you're going to execute it, granted, there's always going to be, you know, curveballs that you got to deal with, you know, on site or, you know, at the time. But, you know, you got to have a good plan. Yeah. Yeah. And again, if you've got the experience to know what you're looking at, you're, you're halfway home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's, you know? that's the difference. Exactly right. <laughs> well, and it's also, too, uh, the, the, the little things that you, the little reflections that you, you look for. Like a lot of people, like, just say the average person looking at that may think your picture's maybe not so good or the other one's good because those things are in there, right? But if you pulled them out, they wouldn't know that it wasn't there, but it's they like the picture better now. Yeah, that's and, a very good example. Yeah, right? so, so yeah, it, it's a tough one. I mean, as a business, it's tough these days because everybody takes pictures, right? And it's just, you know... Um, you can go anybody can go buy a really nice camera now and it's like okay well this guy's picture is good enough I, you know there, there's still people that i mean if you i, I went to vegas in the last uh last month and they have those uh, you know I, i'm not i can't think of the guy's name there's a couple of these photographers that have these big galleries that just it the foot the photographs are amazing just amazing and they're getting ten thousand oh, dollars yeah. a print yeah fifteen twenty thousand dollars a print and it's i need like, to do that <laughs> Yeah, and, and you know, and, and I sit there and I, I look and I go, oh, come on, this is crazy. But then they just, they have these special rooms where they manipulate the light. Oh, yeah. And, and it's just like, they're all, look, no, here's this. And, and you just go, whoa, they're getting all kinds of looks out of these, out of one for, photograph. It's just. Uh, well, we need to do that with hot rods, you know? <laughs> well, well that, that, you know what? Well, and that's, that's the, see, and that's, that's the thing is, is uh, there, there are some good photographers out there now in the, in the car industry, but I don't think anybody's, there's not a lot of really big setup shots, you know, like. Um, it's, it's just it's, the cost involved, you it, know? It really is. It, and when it, it can and, be so much less, there's a lot of what you even see, you know, especially in TV commercials. Where there's no car involved, you know, it's all CGI and and. Uh, well, there's some, you know, uh, I don't know if you've seen it, but we we did, um, we had a guy do a rendering for us of a 3D rendering of a 356 coupe that's just slammed on the ground, and it's just uh, really well done, really really well done, and it's what the reflections in the background just just make this image. 
and I've had people, I had one guy in particular say, hey, listen, I'm having this 356 Porsche meet. Uh, I got a list of cars that I need there, and your green coupe is on the list. And I'm like, well, you know, let me call uh, Santa Claus and, 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 yeah, and, and Fantasy doesn't Man exist. And, and see if I can get them <laughs> yeah. to bring it down. It doesn't exist. And they're like, no, they're blown away. They're like, really? Yeah. Oh, and think about it. There's people. You know, you can do that with people as well. You know? Yeah. I mean. Have you seen some of the deep fake stuff? Oh, yeah. That's you know? crazy. It, it's like, just it's going to get to a point where you're not going to be able to believe anything you see. Right online right and, and you know what i i, I gotta that was kind of my thing too with my photographs i'd you know i'd rather see stuff that's and maybe that's why we're seeing it because so much stuff can be seriously faked the more real it is the more believable it is yeah it, it you know it has those textures and it has its life you know like i say jma is what I never forget when he said that. There's certain things that people say at certain times, you know, where you it just sticks in your head. And um, that was one of Fat Jack had one of those, you know, that he said to me one time. This is totally off subject, but it just popped into my no, head. No, Fat Jack's always on subject <laughs> around here. Always on subject. Uh, my buddy Danny. Yeah. He had this uh, 31 Model A sedan at the time. This is, again, back in the 80s. Badass was car. Is green one? No, it's a uh, it's black with a blown small block. Oh, and okay. Actually, Vic Kitchens uh, did the interior and your dad had done the dash. It was one of the, it had the pyramid from those, the pyramid scheme the pyramid days. Pyramid schemes. It had, a, oh, it, had a, it had a billet pyramid, pyramid in the dash. Schemes. But they, uh, he, uh, 31 Model A. And so Danny had found a, an NOS uh, 32 Ford uh, grill shell. And he wanted to put that, you know, put a put a 32 shell on his Model A, and um, so he, we went over to Jack's, and uh, he said, you know, but you're going to need to fill fill the top of the the shell and all that, and get the radiator cap out of it. And it's NOS, it's brand new, still in a box, you know, 32 Ford. And Danny said, you know, I don't know, the thing is so nice, I uh, maybe I shouldn't fuck it up, you know. And and Fat Jack turned to him and he said, hey. Nothing's too good to fuck up. And and now, for some reason, that line has stuck in my head all my life since the mid-'80s where you think, that should be on a T-shirt, you know? There's a certain brilliance to that i don't yeah. know i don't know what it is but there's a there's words of wisdom there well, it's also it also it, it talks about the era they were in at right. that point you yeah. know yeah i mean because yeah you can you can look back right now and look at all the all the jenny parts that these guys pulled off these cars or tweaked and threw away and you oh, go, oh man yeah but back then it was just like nah well, yeah. we don't want that old shit on here you know it it's a cool. very easy example of that is like with uh my son when he was still uh in in high school at the end of high school and early uh, year or two out of high school we built a car together to teach him about building a car we, we got him a 72 le mans and we're going to initially clone a you know a gto but eventually made it into a hot rod instead and um at the time i had a 57 chevy and a 39 ford deluxe coupe and we're working on his car one day and he said you know dad this 72 le mans is older to me than that 39 ford is to you I thought, no, 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 it's, no, it's not. You know, thinking, what do you mean? You know, and he said, no, count the years between the car's birth and my birth, and the thirty-nine and your birth, and and the and and he suddenly go, wait a minute, a seventy-two Pontiac is that old? When was your kid born? He was born in uh, ninety-two. You know, and so you go, well, that car's already twenty years old. You know, and it, it in. I mean, well, he was 20 years old when he was born. Now he was 17 or whatever, and we're 16 when we're doing the car. So that's in uh, 2008, 
Okay. So now you go, that car's 38 years old, you know, and, and when, and when I was his age, when I was 17, how old was a 57 Chevy to me, you know, or even at my age at the time, that was older than the 39 coupe was to me. And, and it completely changes your perspective on what an old car is, you know, yeah, right. especially for a young guy. Well, and yeah. it's evolving now. I mean, we're yeah. seeing now they're letting them up to what, eighty with eighty seven at some of these car shows now. They really need to, yeah. No, for sure, because I mean, th- there's a whole generation of hot riding there. I mean, and then you're getting into the CK trucks. Oh, right. You know, you start getting, you know, I mean, you have to the bring cool them along. Shit, some of the, the IROC Zs, and you know. Yeah, it kind of pisses me off at times. So you see all those guys that piss and moan about those cars being dragged along or being showing up in, in the magazines. We had that problem when I was working at, uh, you know, source interlink, I was director of photography there for five years, poor Brian Brennan at street rod dealing with people like, no, no, a street rod is pre 48. Well, the reality is, you know, the advertisers are selling more 70 Chevelle parts than they are 32 Ford parts. Yeah. And, you know? and I got to tell you the the crowd is, it's not getting any younger, No, you know, so you have to just bring in a newer audience and, you have to you have to grow you don't sit and complain about young people not being involved and then do things to exclude young people from being involved you know well you know i think also i got this little bit of a theory that the classic ends up being like like the car that was cool in high school that now you're old enough and have enough money to afford exactly right yeah so that's why i look at you know i graduated in 92 and you're looking at the the cars or trucks back then that you wanted to have and now they're kind of classics, and now yeah. you can maybe have a, and have a, have the money and time to afford one. Yeah, like like you said, like an IROC or a Cobra oh, yeah. Mustang or something, you know, Fox Body Mustang. I'm I'm doing that right now. Actually, I'm building a '74 Ford van, oh, you know, nice. a shorty, you know, stub nose van. We well, probably want to talk to uh, my brother Greg and maybe get in his van club. Oh, really? Yeah, really. Yeah, uh, it was. Wait, wait, wait. wait. Uh, what's it? What's it called again, Steve? It's a. Oh, jeez. I don't remember. Something like Fans of Confusion or something. Oh, something <laughs> something, something like, 70s. Yeah, it, 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 he's the vice president or something. You know, it was the, the car that I wanted when I was in high school. I had other stuff, especially with my dad and his I love mean, of so cars. Cal, like, we were talking about uh, Fast Times at Ridgemont High. That's exactly. Like, we're talking about, like, you, dude, I mean, a van, I, I even want a van now. A van is just the... My, my, my daughter cool. always, every time she sees that movie, she goes, Dad... You're a Spicoli, weren't you? Spicoli. <laughs> I said, I knew a hundred Spicolis. But, yeah, you know, right? uh, I mean, we were all Spicoli. Growing up in the South Bay, there, there, oh, there's yeah. plenty of Spicolis. Yeah, we're all Spicolis. Oh, man. I mean, and we're all getting kicked out of school. We're all surfing <laughs> rather than learning, you know? I mean, but so I. Tasty my folks weren't about killer bugs, yeah huh? <laughs> you know, my, my chicks my beach my waves go home you know the surf punks you know and you write it on every wall you could and uh the, I, the my folks were never in a million years have allowed me to have a van at that time they knew they'd be grandma and grandpa you know nine later, <laughs> the you shag know? wagon yeah. yeah right you know everybody's parents were terrified of that this van's but, a rock so, and don't come a knock yeah huh? but yeah. so now i found one I, I saw it sitting and sitting and sitting at this the back of this plumbing shop you know, uh, near my area, every once in a while, I'd go down the street, see that van sitting back there. And I stopped finally one day and asked the guy and, and, uh, 74 shorty flat nose and, um, with a V8, you know, custom it had all the, you know, had power brakes, power steering. And I said, you want to sell it? And he's like, yeah, it's been sitting there too long. Somebody needs to do something. So I started shooting the breeze with the guy. Turns out he went to the same high school I did, graduated the same year that I did. And that was his graduation present. Really? You, you know, did you, you didn't know him? I didn't know him. 
and he said, I'd just love to see this thing come back to life. Oh, wow. You know, so that's your new project. It's my duty. <laughs> yeah. Nice. But I ain't going to go 70s. You know, we've already tubbed it and slammed it. And, you know, we're going to put a set of your 20s on there at some yeah. point and all that fun stuff. Let me know. know. Well, I'll hook you up with the wheels and then we can go uh, catch some uh, killer waves. <laughs> some tasty buds. Tasty or buds. <laughs> no, that's, that's cool. I mean, you know what? Uh, I appreciate it all. All the different... Uh, yeah, everything. I, I just don't. You know, some of these guys. Are, oh, I'm just a Chevy guy. I'm just a Ford. Mm. I'm just. I like it all. No. You, know? you know, it's it, it's funny. It's kind of like uh, the whole reason I got started with photography was to hang out with pretty girls, you know, and and get to know girls that were prettier than I deserved. And now you're here with yeah. us. So. Yeah, sorry, sorry, sorry about look that. At you two. Yeah. Well, <laughs> but I did. I do have my wife. You know, in the first issue, the first swimsuit issue. That's cover, right. So, cover so you had. But so, but uh, the, to to get okay. back to my point, just for a minute, that same. I don't even know how to explain this with that same thing when we're shooting women and shooting celebrities and that and shooting some very beautiful women. And especially when I went back to New York and working with, you know, Richard Avedon with Cosmopolitan and stuff, there are certain people that walk in the room, certain women that you'll still see at a mall to this day or wherever you go. Wow. I mean, that just, you know, that, and, I hate to sound like a sexist, but I'm a guy. And you just go, yeah. wow. You appreciate you know, beauty. It, yeah. You're appreciating the beauty of God's creation there. Yeah. And, and, that same thing, and, and back then it was like, I'd love to shoot that girl. I'd love to get her in front of a camera and just see what I could come up with. And oftentimes I got that opportunity. That same feeling applies to cars. There, to this day, I'll go to a cruise night or go to, a, go to Grand National or whatever it is, you know, the, the Orange Circle cruise, and there are certain cars that I walk past and I go, oh, man, they're just that same exact feeling that those girls would give you like i gotta i gotta shoot this thing or i gotta spend a couple days in the studio with this thing it's just it's just like women i i don't know i, I can't even explain it you know it's there, there's a certain curviness to yeah that. there's oh, something i, I think i that, gotta spend some time with this you know yeah because you, you each every car has its different lines and it's and it's beauty and you feel like you could capture it the best. Well, I, I don't even know if that's it. I just feel you know, like, like you feel, it lights know. me up. You, you know. Well, you've no, been, you appreciate it. You go, man, and yeah, you know, like you, you, you've been trained to see the, these curves, and and I think at a certain point, yeah, you're looking at a woman, but you're looking way more than that. Yeah. You know, you're seeing the contrasting shapes and and and, and the light and the, the where where it's playing off the the subject hitting the background, the foreground. You're you're going beyond yeah, seeing it, a figure. It's you know? some weird deep you know reptilian piece of your brain way in the back back there that's being you know sparked i don't know what it is but it's like i gotta i gotta sit in that car i gotta <laughs> i gotta you know i gotta hang out with that thing it just it hits you that way well back to my wife back oh to the, yeah yeah you know so, a, a smooth transition there so yeah so basically uh we have okay what's the story behind the the swimsuit deal well Again, now we're talking mid to late eighties. Late eighties is actually because be, Hot Rod had hadn't done anything with swimsuits. No, never. There in, a, in the fifties or something, there had been a couple, you know, cover shots with the girls by the pool or whatever. But um, in the eighties, there, if you remember, Sports Illustrated got gigantic. Oh, with the swimsuit with issue. the swimsuit yeah, issue, yeah. and it got. I mean, they were doing TV specials about the Sports Illustrated swimsuit issue, and Hot Rod had for quite a few years. Uh, their April issue was always the April Fool issue. And um, find 
this, you know, in this issue or find where it's a joke. Steve Stanford was a very good example of that years later about AMC is coming back. And he did a bunch of illustrations where people thought AMC is coming back. But uh, they, Pat Ganahl had come back in as editor at, at Hot Rod and he wanted to do a spoof of the, the uh, Sports Illustrated swimsuit issues for Hot Rod for the April issue. So he brought me in about it, shooting the girls, making all this happen. And I told him, I said, now you need to get him here to tell his side of the story at some point because he's <laughs> going to call me a liar on every level possible. But this is my memory. And uh, he, uh, he, he wanted to spoof it. And he, there's one photo that I did that he had control of. It's in that issue that I hate of a, this big muscle girl at, um, at Gold's Gym because he wanted it to, he had some crazy ideas on how to spoof women in swimsuits. And I told him, Pat, there's just no good way to do that. You know, there's, there's, that's a fail on so many levels. And he just wouldn't believe it. And he, he, you know, so I wanted to see John Diana. Did you ever get to know John Diana? Yeah. Little John? Yeah. And, um, the, the most womanizing man in God's creation and told him and he said Randy you go do what you want to do and I'll take care of Pat and he, and I said but he wants me to turn in the film now this was in uh, early October so the, the that film needs to be turned in the first week of January in order to meet deadlines for what would then be the April issue that's cutting it close and so he said don't show him anything you go do what you want to do and so I did and along the way, Pat's calling me constantly going, where's the film? Where's the film? Oh, it's still at the lab. Well, where's the film? And I'm giving him excuse. I can't get up there today, giving him every excuse I can. We got a cover shot, got the whole thing shot, got the issue shot and done. And um, then I think it was January 4th of 1987. I brought the film in and, uh, you know, dropped it all off to Craig, the the editor at the time. I'm sorry, the uh, the art director at the time. And we're all good and happy campers and, and off we go. And Pat's going through the film in his panic on the light table. And, and I'm like, I'm done. I'll see you later. It's all my way now because you got to work with what I've given you. Well, unbeknownst to me, he had sort of caught on to what might be going on and went off and got another cover shot. And uh, just to cover his ass, I suppose, but also to make sure the cover turned out the way he wanted it rather than yeah. the way I wanted it. I didn't know that. But now another couple of weeks go by. The, the layouts are all done. The film's been sent out. And we, you get this thing back then called a chromalin that was the last chance to make any corrections. It was like a 100-pound stock version of the cover. High gloss, you know, nice little with all the registration lines still on it. And I got a call one day from... John Diana, and he's up at 8490 there on Sunset Boulevard. And he said, get your ass up here. And I said, I'm in Redondo Beach. I'm at the beach. I was like, for what? And he said, what did you do on this cover? And I said, I, I turned it all in. Craig's got it in the art department. Now, I, what the hell? You just, just did everything that you told me you were against doing and that we discussed was wrong with this direction that Pat wanted to take. And here we are talking about it. I said, I don't know what you're talking about. And he said, get your ass up here. <laughs> You know, and so I drove up to Hot Rod and I walk in and I go into the art department and Craig's sitting there at his desk and, and over the light table, there's this beautiful blonde bent over looking at, at photographs. I remember exactly what she was wearing with her stonewashed jeans and everything in the, in the 80s there and her L.A. gear tennis shoes. LA gear. <laughs> and um, 
And I looked at him and, you know, Miles, who's that? And he, he just waved like, you don't want to know. And, uh, and I looked on the wall and here's this, another chromalin of this cover that is not the cover chromalin that I had seen and approved earlier. And John Diana walks into the, into the room and he said, come into my office right now. And I walk into John's office and he said, so what the hell happened here? And he said, you got these guys in the back of a mini truck. There's a mini truck on the cover of Hot Rod Magazine. <laughs> well, God bless him. That was the beginning for Pete Santini. I didn't know. I didn't know Pete at the time. But you got guys in the back of a, a mini truck, you know, making grinding uh, uh, looks and, and these fake palm trees that are, you know, inflated and all this funky stuff. And, and this blonde, you know, on the front end of a Corvette, which was a car again that, that had never been on the cover of Hot Rod Magazine. So, John, I've never seen any of this. I have no idea what this oh, photograph is. And I said, I have the chromalin for the cover, and it's, it's that blonde with the polka dot bikini and the, the, the 32, yellow 32 Ford High Boy. And he says, what are you talking about? And I said, what are you talking about? And he said, oh, no. And he's, we marched back over to the art department. He, you know, John Diana, when he got mad, you didn't want to be around. All five foot one of him, you didn't want to be around <laughs> him, you know. And he asked Craig what the hell happened here, and Craig uh pat had another cover shot you know and um and here's this blonde still standing there so i john takes me back in his office and you know he's madder in hell and finally realizes it's not my fault that that, that the cover i'd shot had been approved and done and it got slid under the desk and got a different cover done and he said uh, that's the last nail on pat ganahl's coffin and i said john i i'm not here to to kill Pat Canal. I'm not here to cause problems for Pat. And he goes, doesn't matter. That's his last nail. And I was like, gosh, shit. And, and so I walked back into the art department and here's this blonde still standing there. And I realized the pictures that she's looking at are the pictures that are this new cover. And I realized, and then I look at Craig and mouth back and forth pointing and is that the girl? He says, yeah. And so I start talking to her. What's your name? Oh, Stevie. What, you're, I'm Randy. And, and talking, well, you know, lo and behold, here we are, whatever, 30 years later, and we're married for 28 years or whatever now, 29 years. Nice. And two kids in the mortgage and the whole nine yards. You know? <laughs> That's awesome. What, yeah. so, so which cover did they go with? They went with Pat's because it was too late. It was oh, it was already done. So it already some range on the deal. Huh? Yeah, and so in. Pat had yeah snuck it in under, you know. So, but Pat Canal and his infinite wisdom changed my life again. In one of those yeah, moments right? so in you your life, you mentioned, I met my wife, you know, yeah. and happily married thereafter. You know, still beautiful as she was back then, and um, and Pat just prior to that had saved my life and changed my life because just prior to dropping off the film in January, they had the annual hot rod Christmas party, which was at John Diana's house that year. And as I said, John, you know, everybody knew what a womanizer was and how much he chased around and he had been through two or three or four or five wives, who knows how many at that point. And he had um, a wife at that time. I, I believe her name was Ashley, if I remember right. Pretty little blonde about the same height as him but anyway we're at the hot rod christmas party at john's house in hancock park and this pretty little blonde sits down on me on, with, with me at this couch that's facing this big fireplace and a big burning log and the party's going on and we've all had enough to drink and are drinking more but behind us on a riser in the living room of john's house was a grand piano and it's a big black piano and pat and all was back there like 
pretending he could play it and hammering on the keys with his fist half the time and stuff. And I've got my arm around this blonde and now she's got her legs across my lap and I'm looking at this little black pleated skirt she's got on and I'm thinking, this is going well, you know, this is going to be a good night. And, and it, it, this goes on for 10 minutes or so. And I keep looking back at Pat like, would you frickin' knock it off, you know? And it's just her and I on the couch. Everybody's all over else, elsewhere in the house. John had also disappeared, as well as one of the girls that worked at Hot Rod, and nobody knew where they were in the house, you know? And apparently Ashley knew that, and, and I didn't know. I didn't know who she was. And so this goes on, and things are getting friendlier and friendlier. And finally, at one point, somebody's tapping me on the shoulder and I turn around there's nobody there and I turn around a second time and Pat Ganahl was hiding behind the couch between the couch and the piano and he said he's pointing like this go in the kitchen and there's this doorway you know into the kitchen so I asked Ashley I said you, you want another drink yeah I'll have one I'll go get us a couple of drinks and I go into the kitchen and Pat follows me in and he goes do you know who that is you're all over and all over you there on the couch I said yeah her name's Ashley and he said that's John Diana's wife. And I said, what? <laughs> he said, yeah, he's up in one of the bedrooms with, uh, I'm not going to name her name, but one of the girls at that time that worked at Hot Rod. And she knows it, and she's looking to get even. And I said, oh, you know. He said, you better get the hell out of here. And so I did, you know, bolted out the, the huh. back door to the driveway and down the street to my car and drove home. Man. But I was like, thank you, thank you, Pat Canal. And then here we are a week and a half later, and I meet my wife. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> so I owe Pat. <laughs> so how long did you stay then with, with, uh, with uh, like, Hot Rod? In, in I shot night? with him. Oh, gosh. I mean, you know, I haven't done anything for them lately, but, you know, I, I shot with them for 30, 35 years, you know. A lot of publications, a lot of, yeah. a lot of, I mean, a lot of they magazines. Own, they, you know, it's kind of the own, own the way that we saw hot rodding, the, the general public, I guess, you right. know, like the spectators. I mean, I still, to this day, there's people that religiously got these magazines every month, had three, four, five, six subscriptions. Yeah. You know, that was their that was their hobby, and yeah, they lived for they, it. They, they, I mean, you know, as a kid, I I would look at these mag, I would look at the magazines. I wouldn't read them that much because it was just like, I was there when someone's was built. You know, yeah. But there's people that will recite, like, you know, just what was in these cars and who did this, and I'm like, wow. And they know the names of the owners. They and, know the names of the owners yeah. and, and what issue it was in. It's like. It's a, it's a trip. It's yeah, it like really is. Part of me goes, man, I should have paid more attention. <laughs> yeah, I, I I do too. I, you, know, you know, I should have paid more attention to who some of these guys were. But for you, it was just, just like it was your job, right? You're like, okay, well, I'm shooting this. It's gonna, I, I got to get it done for a deadline. It's going to be this month. And yeah, yeah. You know? Well, yeah, yes and no. There were certain times when you went, oh, there's there's that girl that yeah, I'd love to spend time shooting that one. It's that same feeling. But so I remember the cars. I remember all the cars. I don't remember all the guys, unfortunately. I guess a misspent youth. But, but I'll, you know, we're, we're at Grand National or at, you know, Father's Day, any big event. Again, not to sound egotistical, it's just a reality that you'll have. I'll have people walk up and go, "Hey, Randy, how the hell are you?" And da 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 da. And great to see you. And I'm shaking their hand. And and my son or whoever I might be with, I'm standing there and I'm looking at them because I've told them the story. It's like. I have no idea who the hell this person is. So if you're that person, forgive me. I'm, I'm very, very well, sorry. But but they they 
yeah, you shot my car for hot rod. And, and, and I'll go, uh, what car did you have? And they'll tell me their car. And instantly I remember the car. I don't remember the guy necessarily, or, or, and I remember the photos. I know exactly where we shot. It's all instantaneous, but I don't, I don't remember him necessarily. And it took me a long time to realize, but it's because that was an incredibly special day to that guy. He was for sure. getting his car shot for Hot Rod Magazine. Yeah, because these guys, I mean, this was your job. I mean, how many cars? For me, it was Thursday, you yeah, know, or it whatever. It was Thursday. Yeah. How many cars a month are you yeah, shooting? Yeah. This guy's been building this car for four or five years. Right. His goal in life is to get that car in Hot Rod Magazine exactly, or Street right. Rod or whatever it was. And you were the guy that, that made his car look good. Exactly. He, you know, and how important it was and what moments in their lives it was, you know, and I mean, I, I want to make it clear. I was never, never uh, an employee of Hot Rod Magazine. All my life, it was freelance. Although for five years, I was director of photography with Source Interlink there um, six or eight years ago, eight or nine years ago. And I oversaw, you know, that the Hot Rod group of magazines. And that was during the collapse of the economy. So I, I got a job, you know, at the time. Yeah. I didn't even want a job, but things were bad. But other than that, it's always been just hanging out being there and being part of that crew and being part of that, you know, even though I'm getting, making my living from, you know, shooting automotive advertising and, and doing something again, like for Ford or Lincoln or wherever the case may be, th- my passion still lags back there. And my heart t- to this day is still back there with hot rod. I, I like street rodder, but it's never going to be hot rod for me. You know, it's never going to be that thing in my life that hot rod magazine was or is, you know, now, we all know Cadzilla. Is there any other cars that you shot on my dad's that are? Mm. That oh, come to, good question. Or, you know, I mean, I know there was times where, um, what was it? Uh, well, no, go ahead. I mean, I mean, um, it's a very good question. I shot a number of your dad's cars. One of the ones, and this is one that people don't remember much, but you remember Sports Star? Oh, yeah. When Chip was working? Absolutely. Uh, I just loved that car. And and uh, it sort of disappeared very quickly, but that's just for some reason that one sticks in my head. It was one of those beautiful women that I wanted to shoot, you know. And um, what was the uh, the copper colored one? Roadstar. Yeah, Roadstar. That one at Grand National. That you're both of those cars in the last four or five years ended up over here, um, West Coast Corvettes or Corvette Mike. Really? For sale? Yes. How? How yeah, they had they that? had contacted me and they had contacted Dwayne, huh. and, uh, and you know, and I I can't remember the names of them all, but another four or five cars along the way. I mean, I shot Shazoom, I shot um, for with Hot Rod, I shot for one year with the swimsuit issues. I shot the um, uh, the Eddie Van Halen pickup. Remember okay. that? Oh you know? yeah, had the great fantastic idea again, young enough and stupid enough to not think past the idea. To uh, to use the Eddie Van Halen uh, pickup and fill the the bed of the pickup with water, you know, and then put a bikini girl back there with a little floater, you know, for like she's in a pool and float around. So we went out to the shop, out to your dad's shop, filled all the cracks with dum dum, you know, some of that plastic clay, so that the water wouldn't leak out, and let the hose run in it, and went back into the shop for a while. And the girls are in doing the makeup and this and that and talking to your dad and talking to Dwayne or talking to whoever and walked back out, you know, half an hour later or see how the, how our make believe swimming pool is doing the back of the pickup and the truck was on the ground. ground, You know, it was on the tires on the ground, bump back bumper, sitting on the ground. It's like, Oh shit. 
had, had you know, it never occurred to me how heavy the water was going to be in the back of that truck. So, uh, you know, instantly open the tailgate and start over and put the truck up on jack stands and okay. did it all over again, you know. Um, gosh, I don't, I don't know. I'd have to look through my photo archives to find some of the others with your dad. There were, they were, they were always like, uh, it was, it was, it was, it, whether it was Cadzilla or Sports Star or any of the others, it's like you get to go shoot Boyd's car. You know, it was a special assignment. It was a special opportunity, you know, especially because Hot Rod did have guys on staff or, the, or Peterson Publishing had staff photographers. And to say, go, you know, go shoot this for us. And it's the newest and the latest and the greatest from Boyd or go out there and check up on what he's building and see what we can follow up with and get a few shots. That was always a special time. You know? Yeah, and you know, back then we we talking about the cost involved in the, you know, putting these shoots together. So it wasn't just like the average car, just no. like hey, he just finished this, whatever it was, or whoever it was. It was, I mean, it really had to be special. There's only so many pages in that magazine, right? Only so much budget to shoot all these things. Exactly so when you right. shot when when you got your car shot for Hot Rod or Street Rod or whatever, I mean, it was a big deal. It's exactly right, and it was. So these are notable cars. So was, yeah, and it added value to the car. You know, and oh, which, big which, time. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, you know, I think, um, there's, there's still that my car got shot for the X, whatever magazine it is. And, you know, also to the SEMA show. Oh, I'm, I want to build a car for SEMA. Right. Uh, that's my dream to take a car to SEMA or, uh, to, to go for the AMBR award or to, you know, go for Riddler. Right. You know, it's, it's interesting how, uh, that changed as time went on and and unfortunately you know print began to 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 die away and and hot rod you know went off on some what i consider some you know curveballs let's just say and things you know forever uh, when i would talk to approach some guy that i'd never met and see his card in an event or a show and say hey you know this is my name and i'd love to see if i get together with him and, and see if i could shoot your car and get it over to hot rod magazine and they're like oh my god you know hot rod you could really you know people at hot rod and then at some point like the late 90s or so they'd say do, do you know anybody at rotter's journal and and how that shift began oh, yeah. to take place it was a really it, it was telling and you go oh yeah i know steve coonan and yeah but but this is hot rod yeah. but but you know the rogers journal was so pretty and all the hot high gloss paper and the large format and all and that the, thing. and uh, you know the four times a year right and it, it was more like uh how prestigious it just it just was different yeah I mean, it, it, he had his own look to it you know, with the low the the low light shots, right? You know, right before the sun goes down there. I mean, we've and, been doing that at Hot Rod for for quite a, a while as well. But there was this. So see, I think the less is know, more. You only you're going to see this. Yeah, it's only coming out four times a year. Right. So it's kind of like we made it. And being so big and so glossy, I think made it because some of the builders, you know, when you're talking to them, especially some of the bigger builders, and you'd say. Well, yeah, I mean, Coonan um, pretty well takes care of the magazine himself. He doesn't hire a lot of freelance photography. and But we're talking about Hot Rod, you know, and we're talking about these kind of sales numbers. And Coonan's and numbers are only these kind of yeah. numbers. And and for a long time, that worked because here's your viewing audience. And if, if you're the builder or the manufacturer of those wheels or, or whatever those parts may be, that's important. But but that began to change, you know, and and street i mean uh rogers journal began to 
become the goal. And it's, I think in some it was, ways it still is. It's, yeah. It turned into being, instead of a bathroom magazine, it started yeah. being a coffee table exactly magazine. Exactly right. I'd you love know? to see Hot Rod do that, to be honest with you. I, I mean, I talked about it while I was there with when Source Interlink owned the, the place. They've, they've had so many different owners, but um, the next to the last set of owners. It's, and, it's a tough deal because we're so used to, like, we can't keep secrets. Right. And, you know, I, I do... I do like some of the rules that some of like the, the, the you know Detroit Autorama have and where, where you can't show these cars and it's like I wish more of that would be enforced because it's such a race to put it on social media. Yeah. It's such a race to get it out there. And it's not just it's not just in the in the regular news cycle where you see just a, a run a run to to throw a headline out there and it's sometimes it's wrong, right? But I mean same thing with like now it's just like everyone's trying to promote their business and it's just When's the last time a car just came out of nowhere and you go, holy crap, where's that? Who been? built that? No, everybody yeah. knows about it. I yeah. mean, everybody knows about these cars before they even right. even get finished. Yeah, you've seen them, you've seen them, you know, welding the frame rails or so whatever. It, it's, it would be cool to just have a car that was just under wraps that someone like yourself would, would follow this thing for a year and a half, two years, right. and photograph every step of the way, and no one has really seen it. And, and that's the way it used to be, you know. Yeah, I, I it, mean, did, it did. And it wasn't a problem, you know. Obviously, in the the eighties or nineties, to to build a car that wasn't that was unseen by the time I got to Riddler, because if it wasn't in the magazines, it was unseen, you know. Yeah, it's it's tough because everybody has a has a really good camera on their body right now yeah everybody and you know uh when i told you about the story I t- we took shazoom cross country it still blows me away to this day this was in 92 and back then uh, they had like uh, you know they think they start they had the disposal cameras remember the little oh yeah cardboard box yeah. one where you crank it and it had the flash on it and it was amazing that in how many people on the highway had either those or regular cameras and were snapping shots of Shazoom. That's one thing that stands out to this day was back then. This is way pre-digital. This is pro. I mean, this is 10 years before yeah. digital cameras were on the consumer level. But and, but now you'd see every car on the road hanging oh, a phone out the window. And they, yeah, <laughs> and they, they all have, you know, how many megapixels taking 10, 1080, uh, you know, video, 4K video. Yeah, it's, you al- know? It, it's almost, um, I mean... You know, for Riddler or or for the guys at uh, Grand National or an AMBR, they're in a tough spot to try and how you, you know, how do you get somebody to not show that car prior to its debut at, you know, for America's Most Beautiful Roadster? How, it's very you know, from, tough. From his the, the the builder's point of view as a businessman, because you have or, so many people involved. You yeah, have, you have you know you're using this guy's wheels and he's chomping at the bit to promote it. You're using this guy's uh, right. paint. You're using all these different products and people are... It's a business. And, and, and you're, you know... But if the people are behind it with the money, then if they can fund... Because secrecy costs... It also costs, yeah. costs money. Yeah. Right? So if you had somebody behind that, I mean, it would be kind of cool to have like a, a car show that would just be like, okay, it's going to be in three years' time, but everyone's going to keep it under wraps. No one's going to That know. would be cool. Everyone's Everyone signs non-disclosures. You got It's all compartmentalized. Yeah. It's just like... You know, that's a very cool idea in a way. In fact, this is sacrilegious. I mean, I've even brought it up to John Buck or Kevin uh, Doyle over at uh, at Grand National at times. But to me, 
it, for AMBR to survive to some extent. Now they've changed their rules a bit to try and yeah. to bring back their prestige above and beyond, you know, what Riddler was, was stealing away. But I think AMBR needs to change, you know, that it, it, right now with a whoever wants to argue if it's a 37 Ford or a 39 Ford that was the last year that you could buy a Ford Roadster regardless those are pretty damn old cars now you know 80 year old cars or whatever some of them are older than that you know this year with some of the model model a cars you go those that's a 90 year old car for sure you know yeah and how many of them are there and how many of them have been built and rebuilt and rebuilt and now how many of them competing for AMBR are replica bodies, you know, they're, they're new steel and, and there's a lot of great manufacturers and do they do beautiful work, but it's not really a 32 Ford. It's a replica of a 32 Ford beautifully done all granted, but it's not real steel from Henry, you know, back in the day. And, and I think again, here's the sacrilege part, what they need to do. And maybe your idea of under wraps, is open that up and start saying whatever you want to make into a roadster, whether it's a, you know, a 53 Cadillac two seater that you've made a yeah. roadster out of, or a 64 T bird, you've made a roadster out of it. Let's make whatever your cut or off, whatever prototype, whatever, yeah, uh, you, know. you know, let's cut it off at 1970 or whatever. And if it's a roadster, it's a roadster. Personally. I mean, I'd rather see, you know, whatever a 57 t-bird made into a roadster that's some very cool well done high-end custom or hot rod build than another you know uh replica you know repot body 32 because to me as much work that might go into that repot body there's more ingenuity and there's more creativity there's more this has never been done before going into that you know 59 cadillac or again that that 64 thunderbird or, you know, a 65 Barracuda, whatever it is you want to, you know, yeah. chop oh, the roof true. off and make something out of it. I just love to see that happen, you know, and just open the whole thing up. Yeah, they definitely, I mean, uh, not just AMBR, but a lot of these shows have to, they have to just kind of keep on evolving. Yeah. You know, um, I mean, when you're there. If they want to, if they want to stick around, if they want, you know, right. want to be relevant, you know. If you got an 18 or 19 year old and he's looking at a car from 19 you know 31 model a that's well you know it's like for me i i mean i love all things automotive and love shooting exotics love shooting a lot of new cars one thing i've never kind of gotten any kick out of is brass era cars they just don't do it for yeah. me you know and now maybe if i was 20 years older brass era cars would be bitching to me but i but because of that thought process i think now how does that reality sit with a 20 year old today you know that he's going what's a high boy who cares yeah you know but now well, we're, we're, we'll see some changes and evolution of you know hopefully we, we get some uh crossover because i mean you can't deny the electric technology that's happening oh yeah have you ever been in a tesla sedan oh, yeah yeah okay so yeah let's put that technology into a hot rod oh absolutely i'd you know, love to see that happen you know and i i wonder you know even like uh i love formula one racing but the whole thing with KERS devices in, in F1 cars with the kinetic every, uh, energy recovery systems. And I think, why hasn't that found its way 
into the aftermarket. Now, maybe from an engineering standpoint, I'm very naive and ignorant saying that, but I think why isn't there a recovery systems with electrical systems? If you've got, you know, 800 horsepower and a hot rod today, why aren't you recovering additional horsepower in the braking and yeah. whatever else that it's some system that you can start bolting in and bringing that technology to, to your hot rod? You know, I'd love to see that happen too. I, I think I think it's going to come around because you can't deny the styling of certain hot rods, right? Even '30s cars, right? You, so, you know where we can you can talk about the bad, the good, and the bad of of a Prowler, right? Right. Um, but the thoughts there, the thoughts to keep that styling alive, right? Yeah. So now you just start taking that styling and then start putting electric technology into this stuff. And making it to where it's still relevant, and you can still drive yeah. around today, and it still hauls ass. You know, oh man, I mean, I mean and then some. I, I was I had a big meeting with some of the guys at Hot Rod and some of the powers that be at one point here eight or ten years ago, and um, I, I reminded them of something that was a, a very funny thing that we all thought during the early '90s when the the whole Honda craze really started getting going. And even Edelbrock jumped in and was, you know, casting blocks for Honda Civics and that sort of thing, which eventually, you know, failed for him. But there was, here's the new age of hot rods. Here's the new age of these guys. They're getting mom's car. They're just getting her old Civic or her old Accord or her old Corolla or something. And is that really any less of a hot rod than, than getting mom's old Fairlane, you know? And, and so those conversations were going on and arguing back and forth about them. And I understand the point of American made and hot rod applies to, you know, Americana. But um, one thing that I came across quite often when I would ha uh, get the opportunity to shoot some of those Japanese hot rods or tuner cars was uh, I had this conversation a number of times where they go, yeah, I'm making 225 horsepower in my Civic, you know, my 94 Civic or whatever. Yeah. And you go. Really, I mean, and look under the hood, and it's just freaking gorgeous, you know. How much did that cost? You go, I got fifteen grand getting, getting making fifteen, you know, kind of horsepower. I said, but it, doesn't it kind of embarrass you that you could be cruising around with your girlfriend and and mom pulls up next to you in her Dodge Caravan and it's got two hundred twenty five horsepower and she sticks with you from stoplight to stoplight, you know? And and I said, I mean. Where's the hot rodding in that? And they said, that, and this was always their response. That doesn't count because that's a V6. And, and I thought, what a weird mentality. You know, they're separating out numbers of cylinders as to whether or well, not something. Saying, I'm getting this many out of it. Yeah. And so yeah. there was this, and, and then the numbers of times they would say, oh, well, we're the, you know, this generation is the first one to have four cylinders running these times or running over 125 miles an hour at El Mirage. Go, no, no, no. You need to look back in the 30s and see what guys were doing yeah. with four bangers, you know. But forward to this mess or this meeting at Hot Rod, and I said, you know, we all laughed about that at the time. But what are you going to do when you pull up with your 67 Camaro and some kid pulls up next to you with a Prius one of these days, whenever the aftermarket hits those things, and he just blows your freaking doors off going from door to door. And you got a 400 horsepower small block. And I said, and now it's your girlfriend that's laughing and not the kid with the, with the Prius, you yeah. know. And honest to God, I got the same response, you know with uh david and rob that rob said that wouldn't count because that's electric 
And I said, but you're still lost. It's you're still, still speed. Yeah, yeah it's still, still speed. Sp- well, you know? It, you know, I've been in, 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 in the last few months, I've been in two very fast cars. I've been in a Tesla, and I've been in a Dodge Demon. And it's totally two different experiences. Two worlds. It's two worlds, very fast in both worlds. But yeah. the Dodge Demon is just, it's, it's just... Uh, crazy yeah I, I mean you remember quite obviously the days of man i got 400 horsepower hot rod putting cover stories building horse 400 horsepower for street engines yeah in the 80s and 90s you had 400 horsepower a streetable car man you were the man you know yeah i had uh when i graduated i had an eclipse a mitsubishi eclipse because my dad had just they had just done you know the deal with mitsubishi they had the luma coupe with the same motor in it and it was all-wheel drive, and it was turbo. And I think I, with with a little bit of upgrades, I had the thing in, like, 220 horsepower. Yeah. And, uh, you know. It was uh, big. Back then, in a little car like that, yeah. I mean, out of the gate. You know, then you know, fast forward when, the like, the, the Mitsubishi, the Evo 8 came out. Oh, right. Those things, I went three-something, and that was a rocket ship. Yeah, you got to remember and, Corvettes were making in the late 70s and oh. early 80s or 180, 190 horsepower. Yeah. You know? And it, it, or. Psh. You could, now you could do that with a four banger. You no, know, I know oh. it's it's a lot of brand new cars are pretty fast. I, I was at a um, comparatively, yeah, we were, you know, out do, of the box doing some stuff with with Ford a couple of years ago. Uh, they have a facility up uh, actually that's right next door to Google up in um, Silicon Valley up there in the middle of all the high tech Yahoo's just down the street. All those they're all right there, and they have this place called the uh, the RIC, I believe it is, Research uh, and Innovation Center. And I was doing some photography up there, and it's it's spaceship, it's space shuttle stuff that they're working on, and it's advanced levels, you know, of of uh, it's, it's some of the stuff I can't tell you about. Some of the stuff that you, I could tell you about, you just thought this can't be possible. There were at one point I walked over. And first of all, it's not like the usual guys you see that are in Dearborn that are the engineers working on the power plants for the the next Mustang. You know, the the gearheads. And the guys with the dirty knuckles, these guys are all in white lab coats. They're all, it's like you're in a doctor's office, you know. And I walked over to this engine block that was sitting on this stand. And it was shiny silver, looked like silver spray paint, you know. Very small, maybe two feet long, maybe a little bit less, you know, and a foot and a half or so high. And um, three cylinders. And I thought... It was a plastic block, you know, that you would use for mocking up the same way you go with a hot rod with a V8 plastic block. And I picked it up and I was just looking at it and whatever, this is cool. It's kind of neat. And this gentleman walks over in his white lab coat and said, no, 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 be careful with that. Put put that down. And I said, what is this? And he said, um, well, that's a three-cylinder alloy block that we're working on. And I said, well, what is it? And he, I said, this is an actual engine block because I was holding it like it was a plastic block. And I, I said you can't tell me this is actually used to produce horsepower. You know, you can pick it up. And he said, we're making over a thousand horsepower with it. Wow. And he said, we got 1200 horsepower examples that we're running around the Nürburgring with. And I said, and you can pick this block up. And he said, we have two of them. They're a thousand CCs and you picked up one of them. So you can't go around dropping them. And he said, but um, he goes, I can tell you this, when I travel back and forth to Dearborn, Dearborn with some of the uh, research stuff we're doing, he said, I put it in a gym bag and put it in the overhead container. (laughs) And you go, and you're making a thousand horsepower. He goes all day long. Wow. And, and he go, 
I love a big block Chevy as much as the next guy, but good you Lord. You got to appreciate that. Yeah, you got to appreciate that. Man. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Technology, it's going to change. It's, I mean, it's going to change. The, what we, and we have to adapt to it because, you know, everybody's going to want to modify something. Yeah. Right? I, I think mean, so too. everybody's, whether it's going to be, you know, and maybe it becomes more niche. Maybe it becomes more specialized. Maybe, you know, we're all uh, subscribing to like an Uber car service where we really don't own our day-to-day driver. It just shows up when you yeah. need it. It's an auto- yeah. automated car. But on the weekend, you still have your car. Yeah. And, you know, track. and, and I, I would hope that those same folks, you know, guys and girls that are tinkering with their computer and putting more memory in it or making it run a little better here and doing whatever the hell they do, you know, that 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 could transfer to those cars, you know, when that technology is there and say, well, wait a minute, mine, I can make this do this through through the digital world. And we've all learned that to some well, extent with lap, laptop tuning already, but it's going to go so much further than that. Well, yeah, I mean, they almost already started that out of the gate with the Tesla, with the ludicrous mode, right? And, you know, different hacks and stuff like that. You, you know, again, like with Hot Rod, historically, I, I remember these certain steps that took place. And, you know, I, I was shooting for car and driver and motor trend and, and road and track and, and all of them at the time. And especially with, with the new car books, motor trend, road and track and car and driver, in the late 70s there, when the discussion about uh, airbags started coming around and the reality of airbags and the development, and then into the 80s where you could get an airbag in your car as a, a, a single airbag on the steering wheel as an option, how much the magazines hated it <laughs> and how horrible it was, you know, and that this thing explodes in your face and that there's talks that they're going to make you have these in your in your cars and the government's going to shove this down your throat and we're all going to have to put up with this trash bag that explodes in your face. Well, now you can't imagine a car without it. Yeah. You know? I mean, like a seatbelt. Yeah. I mean, how? I mean, I mean, why I, would you Why would if, you? Not? If someone gets in your car, they don't put their seatbelt on, you go, hey, dude. Yeah, what but at, at the time it was change and it was resistant. Or, again, with Hot Rod... When uh, electronics started showing up and they started to initially do cover stories about how you can tune with a computer, I mean, those things would tank on the newsstands because nobody is ever going to do that. Nobody is ever going to get rid of their carburetor. You know, you're never going to see electronics and fuel injection take over. That's funny. Yeah. yeah. And, and they were very resistant now to it. Now it's just like, wait a second. You mean I can just plug this program into my car? And- yeah. Click, click, click. Yeah. I mean, so that same resistance will pass, you know. Yeah, but there's always you're always want to make something, tweak something to make it exactly go right, you know. So what 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 excites you these days, uh, photography wise, business wise? Hmm. What have you been working on? Well, I'm. That's a good question. What excites me? I'm gonna have to think about that. But what what I'm working on as I've started doing a, an online magazine of my own, uh, Rotting Revolutions. You know, there's my plug rottingrevolutions.com it's part of a larger site now called speed revolutions and uh in and there's some other magazines that we're beginning because again it's a digital world and it's changing i'm trying to keep that level of photography in a digital uh, reality to rather than saying it doesn't matter anymore because it's only a, a 30 or three second view of a two inch image in facebook well maybe maybe that's self-serving. Maybe if you show crap, that's why you get crap time with, with the views. And yeah. and maybe, I don't know, but maybe start trying to show some quality there and start bringing them to the website that way. And it's a 
technological um, arm twist, obviously, for certain people, generationally speaking. And for others, it's a different arm twist in that it's not, no, cars are cool. You got to come check this out. Yeah. And so, again, my son is that age. He, he's, he's been involved with this since, you know, birth. He had no, no choice. But he's also uh, of that loves the electronics, loves the technology that's out there for a lot of other things. He's also very style conscious and he's a nut for watches. And I didn't realize how much the watch community had become such a power in, in the, the reality of a lot of young guys' lives and men in their 20s and 30s. And you go, now there's a, a mechanical connection there. For sure. And so... Well, you look at like Rob Report, Rob Report Magazine, right? Which right. Which is always like the high of the high end... You had cars, watches and jewelry, and yachts. You know, and, and planes, right? And planes. Yeah, and, and if you're hanging with hot rods all day, you don't realize that, you know. Well, and also sneakers too. Yeah, yeah like, so, like, that's a whole other niche deal. And too. so he's brought me around to that, and saying so he does some of the stuff with us too. Another thing is, you know, scotch, and like there's this whole world of craft beer. Yeah, craft beer. What Steve, are the, uh, Steve here's got a, a craft beer podcast. <laughs> oh, I got to hang with you. Um, you know, and so you go, okay, well, then maybe we need to include these things. And and these automobiles are out there that these guys are going to love if you could just expose them to them. I've never, through the through the time of being a dad, not had my son or my daughter's friends where we dragged them along to a cruise night, not go, wow. I mean, where do these cars, you know, they all are instantly over from the time they're little kids. They're, they're blown away by them if they don't know about them. And if you could just get them there and get them involved, and maybe it's they're into watches, and now they're also into cars because it's a mechanical device, include that. And so we're including the watches in the website. We're including uh, some of those style things, like I say, with, uh, you know, uh, scotch. Some of the, we did a bunch of stuff with. Well, if you um, like nice things. Right. Know, I mean, it's, it, you know. Uh, it's a lifestyle. It, it definitely it definitely is a lifestyle. No, it, it's cool. And also, you you got to be ahead of the curve of the way you present this to people because like the, we see magazines dying and we have a lot of nostalgia for magazines and maybe it's, there's still a need for that. There's still a need for it to touch something and, but maybe it's not going to be shoved down your throat every month. Right. Maybe right. it's going to be a few times a year. Maybe it's an annual thing. Right. You know, maybe you, you know, the transition of you got your highlights. Here's, here's what we did all year and here's the best of it in, in print. In fact, my son has said the same thing. He said, dad, do the, you know, you start to learn how stupid you are when your kids get to be, you know, in their twenties, especially in a technological world. But, you know, do the website, you know, do the online magazines. And what you need to do is once a year, uh, release a print version of the best of somewhat like hot rod used to do back in the day with the hot rod annual. But he said, do, you know, do your white album. He said, or do the Metallica yeah. black album. He said, all the black cars, all yeah. the white cars. And just one special issue here, and one special issue there. He said, just and and make it a little bit of a ghost, make it a little bit about what it's going on here, and try and find a way to bring to bring new guys in. You know, I I I love that feeling again with his buddies that didn't grow up in in car families to see the looks on their faces when you bring them in and how overwhelmed. I mean, they think it's like a cult, you know, how do you guys even know to hang out here Friday night? How do you guys, how do you <laughs> yeah, guys, right. you know, like, how do you know? Well, yeah. Like during summer, the, uh, the rubies up in Whittier get 400 cars, Yeah, you know, and it's just like this thing. It's not like if you're in the, no, if you're in the scene, you know about yeah. it. 
You're not going to see it. It's not going to be on TV. It's well, going to be on the news. Well, and it's, I it's tell them that, like, I said, it's like for music, you guys. I mean, I don't know who this band is that you're listening to anymore, unfortunately. But um, but you're into it. And, and it's this underground sort of cool thing right now. And when it gets big and gets popular, then you don't think it's cool anymore. But, but there's this reality of, of this underground culture called hot rodding. And it's just below the surface. And, but it touches your life. It touches all of our lives. I mean, this is getting on a high horse in many ways that people don't realize. I, I, it's such an American thing. You know, it's beyond baseball and apple pie to me or jazz or rock and roll. It started before rock and roll started. But it, there was a time where if you had a, you know, had a new Ford and you needed new spark plugs, you went to Ford, you bought new Ford spark plugs. You know, and all those guys after World War II that started all those companies that now that there's Pet Boys and there's, you know, Advanced Auto Parts or there's whatever, you know, Rock Auto Online, those those things wouldn't exist without those hot rodders looking for a better part, yeah. and more speed, and a, a quicker way to do it way yourself, it. American mentality, yeah, too. Yeah, exactly right. Right. You know? And you, and you tell tell that to an 18-year-old kid and go, you know, these guys figured it out, you know, and you can figure it out. I mean, you might not know what a carburetor is, and, and maybe you don't care what a carburetor is, but it doesn't hurt to learn what a carburetor is. And the reality is that car over there, that guy's tuned his with a computer and his laptop, you know. Well, and that's just the shift, right? Because then there's somebody who doesn't know what a certain piece of computer equipment is that you need now for, right. for the, um, to fix up your new car. That's all computerized. Right. So there's always going to be the nerds and the geeks and the, the guys that want to dig in and, and tweak this stuff. And we, we had that problem, like, again, you know, conversations at Hot Rod, because with a printed magazine, you have a finite number of pages, you know, and those finite numbers are getting smaller and smaller and smaller, as any magazine subscriber knows. And so one of the conversations, again, having kids, I would bring up in meetings as often as I could in the efforts to bring new people in into the, the hobby or the lifestyle, whatever you want to call it, is that, again, a carburetor. What is a carburetor? I said, the, the reality is, is that for, you know, an 18-year-old kid that you're hanging with and you start talking about some of the things with cars, they're extremely intimidated because they don't know what you're talking about. And there's nothing worse than being a teenager and not knowing what somebody's talking about and, and feeling like you you don't want to be the guy to say, what's that? Yeah. You know, what's that's that mean? That's a dumb question. Yeah, that's yeah. a dumb question. You know, you're not cool, you know, if you don't well, know what, what this do you mean is. you don't know? Yeah, you know. And so I said... Why don't we start running a one-page or a two-page basic tech every month? What is a distributor, or, or what are our points? What is a carburetor? What do these things do? You know, said. So, well, first of all, we don't have the page space for it. We have things that are paid for and things that we have to do. You know, ad, there's ad space, right? <laughs> we and and there's not that elective space anymore in the page count. And you go, but. Um, if you're not bringing them in by teaching them, they said hot rods running on the basis of you, there's an assumed level of knowledge. And I said, didn't have an assumed level of knowledge in 1966 when I was 10 years old reading yeah. it, you know, with how this carburetor works or whatever the, the article might be. I said, yeah, that's an unfortunate thing to have lost. And so that's part of what we try to do with rotting revolutions and speed revolutions, do some very basic tech. And so, again, that a guy that's starting to get into it, he doesn't have to be the, the embarrassed guy and go, uh, you know, what's a jet in a carburetor? Or, you know, and feel like he's, you know, he doesn't want to be the guy to raise his hand in class, you know. Yeah. Teach him. No, that's cool. Yeah. I mean, 
got to find new ways to uh, to expand your demographic right. of who you're reaching because you and know, in a digital space you have all the space you need. You know, no, it's it's uh, there's professions that are made from figuring this stuff out, <laughs> yeah. right? I yeah, mean, yeah. I just hope it stays alive and and it well and you changes know, and it's 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 evolving in the way we present this. Uh, you know, um, with with the wheel business, I you know I don't just sell the hot rod people. I sell the lower truck guys. Right. You know, I sell the you know the Porsche guys. I sell to all these different people. So. They're all hot rods. Uh, they, they are. Yeah. They are. And, yeah. and, and I, I appreciate it all. Um, but, yeah, how, how you get to those people and share what you have, um, you know, and try to stay relevant. Try to stay, you know. But the reality is edge. it's a good thing and a bad thing. It's yeah, how do you do it and finding that way digitally and trying to find those people, but at least it doesn't cost you a $40,000 color ad page in, no, a, in a magazine. Not at all. Either. I mean, your, yeah. your money's, uh, you, you, you can you get a lot, a lot of bang for your buck uh, yeah. nowadays. And uh, I'm still, we're, we're still testing different things out. We started our new little car show companion show that we, we experimented with. So when we ran into you at Grand National, right. we were running around, we were doing a bunch of filming on Friday. And then what we did was we came back and we put together just like an edit of, you know, of footage of the show. And it was me and uh, three other guys, four other guys. And we sat in this room and we watched it here on the video. And we just kind of recorded our commentary on the show. Yeah. So. Because, the, the, because 99% of the world can't get there. They can't get there. Yeah. And not, not only that, but it, they're, they're, by Monday they're going to see hundreds. If they're really following it and they're really on, on social media you can see every car a million times right but i think that i want to because my busy schedule here with you know just running a business and with kids i wish i could get to all these shows but we're also experimenting like okay well if we can't physically be there let's virtually be there and let's just all do what we're doing now let's let's give our commentary on these cars because there's some really cool stuff that's going on at these shows right we just sat here and we hung out and we all got our shared our opinions on cars whether we liked them we hated them whatever it was so that's just kind of a new little thing we want to do this yeah year. that's a fun thing We're and it's a tough thing to make sure you know uh when you're talking about other people's cars to always keep in mind it's that guy's dollar you know? no and, and yeah. for sure because there's times so, when you go what the hell but you know you what know, you know dollars and, and, and that's that's too. one thing my dad was always conscious of he's like look there might be things that this guy you might not have done it this, the way he would have, or the, the way that he did it, um, but that's his baby. Yeah, and, and that was his idea. And look, he he's proud of that thing right now. So right. you just can't go around. I mean, obviously, there's something seriously safety issue wrong with it. You should point it out, right? But I mean, when it comes to aesthetics and tastes like this, that's what he wanted. Is he, if, does he like it? That's his deal. Yeah. It's not like he's going, oh well, I wish I would have done this and that. No, he's like, hey, what do you think? What do you think, Boyd? Like I, my dad would get that all the time. Boy, what do you think of my car? And that was just like, oh, that'd be you know, a tough. My, that'd be a no, tough spot you know, to, yeah. but, but my dad would just really focus on the positive every time. Yeah, you know, I, mean, I don't think any. There's not one person out there that can go. Yeah, Boyd came over to my car, my shit, car. and shit yeah. all over my car. Never happened. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, because it, like I say, I I see that on social media all the time, and you just think, and I, and I always write the same thing. Did you send him a check to help him build it? Well, yeah. If not, then. You know, what are you talking haters about? Haters are going to be haters. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know what, Randy? I think we're going to wrap this up. Not a did problem. Did you have anything that you wanted to plug, or did we miss anything? Oh, man, I don't. 
Yeah, let, let's send people to your website so you can check out your uh, some of your work. Um, again, you know the the magazines uh, Speed Revolutions S P E E D Revolutions with an S, and uh, Rotting Revolutions is on that site as well. You can check it out. And um, and again, if you're if you're just getting into all this stuff with the car world, you know there's a few things you might learn on there. You can look it up. And and um, we're still growing. We're still you know looking for comment and looking for uh, directions. So you know, let us know what cool. you think. Right on. Hey, I got to tell you one quick thing before we go. Oh, go ahead. You know, that whole thing that your dad did and that whole era of the 80s and the 90s. Yes. That all needs to come back. It's all old enough now. It is. And it's cool again. Well, and you know, I'm seeing it with the <laughs> with the 88 to 98, uh, you know, GM trucks, the CK trucks. That's that's coming back. I'm ready to start uh, seeing some pro street I'll, cars again. Too. I want to see some IROC Zs. Yeah. Well, you know, that's happening. There's, you know, Detroit Speed has built theirs, and they're going to start letting these things do the autocross. Uh, it's going to be and some some cool. fifteen inch wheels that are pretty and fifteen smoothed oh, out cars. Okay, now now you're getting crazy on yeah. here. <laughs> yeah, I think we're going to have a limit. It's, it can only go down to seventeen inches. No, yeah. you know what? Actually, we got a set of really bitching fifteen and seventeen inch wheels that we just did for a customer. We don't do a lot, but they came out really bitching. They got three bar spinners. I'm going to actually be posting them uh, tomorrow on social media I say it's it's old enough that it's new again so but thanks for having me on yeah no, i really this appreciate great. me uh great you know, times what? great memories man yeah. i mean you know what uh very you know it's uh i'm very appreciative that you you know we're here talking about something that was just uh to this day still one of the most iconic uh things to come out of hot rodding and that's cadzilla oh, and it's absolutely. not just cadzilla as the car cadzilla as the spread in hot rod magazine you know, just I'll tell ever- you, years later at Ford Motor Company, when the new Mustang was coming in 2004, I was back in Dearborn shooting with Jay Mays, and he showed it to me for the first time. And I said, you got somebody that's into hot rods working on the design team on this, don't you? And he said, yeah. And uh, it was a pre-production prototype. And uh, I said, who's lead design on, on this car? Who's you know? Because I knew it wasn't Jay himself. And he goes, he's a guy named um, Larry Erickson. Do you know him? Have you ever heard of him? And I said, I know Larry. <laughs> and he goes, how do you know Larry? And I told him, I said, well, there's this car called Cadzilla and this yep. car called a Luma Coupe. And, and uh, he said, well, how did you know Larry had something to do? How, what tells you looking at this, what was a prototype for the 04 Mustang? I said, fastest thing is is where the cut lines match and how there's as few cut lines as there is and they they flow with the other cut lines i said but you know the single biggest thing jay as i said it's interesting that the steering wheel is the same as the the wheels i said you go look at anybody out there cutting their own rims and the, cutting their own steering wheels they always match on a, on a yeah. good hot rod these days and he's like i never even noticed that and that's he funny. hadn't even noticed notice that larry had done that Oh, you know? that's awesome. Yeah, so, I'd, I'd love to get him on, on the show. Oh, he's, he's a great guy. Because that's just the, the other perspective that we need. Yeah, he's you a know, great for, for just that whole era. Well, cool. Well, thank you. Again, thank and, you uh, so much for having me. Let thanks me for coming out. This is awesome. And, you know, tell some stories. Yeah, definitely. Tell some lies. <laughs> All right, Steve, you want to take us out? Yeah, well, uh, you've uh, stood here long enough uh, listening to us, so thank you guys. Good night from the Hot Rods by Boyd podcast. We'll talk to you guys next time.